Today's episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. If you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic, why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking that trip. And you can get the discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Going to the post office instead of using stamps.com is kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Just going up a couple floors? Sure, take the stairs. Walking up 30 flights a day? You could use a break. If you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You'll save so much time and money, you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. Save time and money this holiday season with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code POD for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code POD, P-O-D. Lads, we're back. Yo, guys. Hey, we have four screens today. We've been teasing it for a while. Um, the stars have finally aligned. Um, Patrick, how are you, man? Welcome to the show. It's great to see you. I'm I'm great. Um, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, a lot's happened since I reached out to you a week ago. We were just talking about that before the show, how it was just one little thing. And then since then, all the dominoes have fallen. So, um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be here. No worries, man. And, yeah, as, as Patrick says there, we talked – before Gordon spoke, before Molson spoke, before Trevor, not so yeah, that's a, yeah, before Trevor Timmons and them were fired, we talked before Mellonby stepped down. So uh, I think before it would have just been screaming a lot about the way the Canadians are playing. Uh, we're probably going to hit that today and maybe some ice time with some young players. Um, but actually, as well as talking about sort of a lot that's going on in the front office, before we get there, actually, See, Patrick, what I first learned about you, and it's hilarious that you get to know people more on Twitter nowadays than, you know, in person, is I think you might be, I'm the, the Rottweiler's not happy right now, um, you might be as big of a Brett Kulak fan as I am. And I love Oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know when it started. I think it was once there were more acquisitions that I didn't like that I realized how good he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been on a steal of a contract for the last three years, like three years, $1.8 million. Um, I even put in my bio, like I'm a Brett Kulak truther or Stan or whatever. I don't even know what I said, but he, he, he's a very valuable defense for this team. And, um, I'm glad to see that he's getting more, more praise among the media. I know Mark Dumont, I'm sure you guys all follow him is a big, big Brett Kulak fan. So, yeah. If he could choose, I think it's Lekin and Kulak would be joint captains right now. I popped yeah. off so much last night when Kulak, same, same shift scores and gets a fight. What a beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Love to see him. Um, but getting serious here. Um, let's go back a few a few days ago. 
I can't remember the exact dates how it lines up, but I want to say I think it's eight days since Mellonby stepped down. So just sort of going back there, when you saw the Mellonby news of him resigning, and then a couple hours later, actually would have been earlier that night from Freeman originally, um, that Gordon was reached out to by Jeff Molson. Uh, what was going through your mind? What did you see? Or did you see it as the dominoes are starting to fall? Or I thought the Mellonby thing was going to be the only, initially I thought the Mellonby thing was the only move because a lot of the times we've seen this and I'm back to when Tarion was the coach and Lefebvre was the coach. It was always a bunch of little moves around the guys that were the true problems. Um, Tarion was a problem. He got different assistants. Um, Lefebvre got different assistants at certain points. There were different methods of like improving the team. Kirk Miller was hired, bringing back guys, but the guys that were always in the middle of the problem, like Lefebvre, like Tarion, uh, like I guess Julian to an extent, there are always moves around them, but it was never the key guy. So once Melanby stepped, stepped down, I thought that was just a small move to sort of tweak things. But then once I saw Gordon reached out, I said, okay, Bergevay has typically surrounded himself with guys who he knows, he's friends with, he's played with, and who likely agree with him. Um, he's boys with all those guys, with, with Sylvain Lefebvre. They were like, they're really close friends. And you never really got the sense that he had anyone who would question him. And you can kind of tell that by the way he handled the media. So then once I saw Jeff Gordon's name, I thought there's no way Gordon can exist with Bergevin as well. There's no way those two can, can work together. Um, and that's when I thought, okay, things are definitely going to change here. Um, and I think I probably thought Timmons would have gone first, but then I was walking with my friend downtown and my phone just blowing up and I said, okay, all three of them are gone. So I think, I think it's the right move. And I think Jeff Gordon's a pretty brilliant hockey executive. He essentially built the Bruins um, he acknowledged what the Rangers were when not a lot of people could. And, you know, to do that in a big market like the New York is extremely difficult. So I think they got him at the right time. And Jeff Gordon shouldn't have, shouldn't have been dismissed last year. I, I know they said it's unrelated to the Wilson and Aaron thing, but it's pretty much related. So getting him, I think, is, is huge. I think a big quote at the Jeff Gordon press conference the other day was, um, we were in relation to New York. The dog. Uh, in relation to New York, was we were a good team, but we needed to make moves to make ourselves a great team. And you can almost say, like, looking back at Bergevin, um, the word I would use to describe his tenure is frustrating because I think there was always that. I'd like to know your opinion on this. Um, a, a lack of understanding of where the team really was in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think he, and he said this, he didn't really believe in windows to the extent that other general managers did. And Look, I've been very critical of Bergevin throughout his tenure. I think there's a lot to criticize. There's also a lot he did very well. Um, but I think he, he's an excellent trader. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a trade where you could say he got completely fleeced. Um, maybe the joint Sergachev trade, but even then Sergachev did not pan out or hasn't panned out yet until what he was supposed to be. Like He's made good trades, but you have to look at drafting. You have to look at development. You have to look at his free agency, which is just nothing but abysmal, um, throwing out big money to – pretty awful defenseman um it was a frustrating tenure and he, he missed he couldn't get a feel for when the window was not many general managers can walk into a team in 2012 with with Subban Pacioretty Price you know going into their prime you have a supporting cast of Eller and Placanics you have a defenseman in Markov you're about to get the third overall pick in Gauchinek so I see people saying that he left the team in a better spot I don't necessarily agree with that because he had he walked into a core that was ready to win and by the time he really went for it, Subban was gone for Weber and Price was well past his prime. And I think that's really where he missed out a lot. And I think um, essentially just trying to build a team on trades. There's not a lot of homegrown talent there. And um, I think that was the biggest thing is 
lateral moves, you know, even if he didn't win the trade it, or lose the trade, it was always, well, this could work out low risk, high reward, or they don't lose it, but nothing ever moved the needle. Nothing ever changed. Gachinek for Domi. Initially, no one thought that would have, that would have worked out. Anderson uh, for, sorry. Yeah. And uh, Domi for Anderson, all the moves he made, it was always just lateral moves sort of, I think Brian, I'm sure you guys follow Brian Wild. He basically said there's a bunch of uh, holes in the ceiling and water is dripping down. All Bergevin is doing is moving the buckets. He's not getting more buckets. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great way of describing Bergevin's tenure is that it's a bunch of moves. They're okay, but you're not building a team. He can't build a team as far as I'm concerned. He's almost like the king of complimentary players. You know what I mean? It's, it's I've always looked at it. It's like Toffoli, great player, but is he really the one pushing everything? No, it's... Maybe the exception we see what happens with Nick Suzuki, but you know stuff like that. Um, good, it's, yeah, Bergevin. It's it's a wild tenure, Patrick. I'm going to hit you with a stat here because I I think you are Alex. I read this on the podcast last week. Um, yeah, Daniel. I don't know if you've listened to it yet. Um, so this may be some stuff to you. So what I I kind of sat down and I did was I looked at the Canadians drafts from 2012 to 2018, leaving 1920 in that, because we'll see how those guys uh, sort of turn out here. And this can also be sort of thrown at Trevor Timmons too. So from 2012 to 2018, do you want to guess, Patrick, how many players have played at least, I believe my marker was 50 NHL regular season games. Okay. So 2012 was Galchenyuk. So he's there. 2013. That wasn't the McCarran year, was it? It was. He's he's played at least at least fifty. I know he's played fifty. Mm-hmm. Has he? Yeah, he has. Okay, twenty fourteen would have been Juleson. Uh, Juleson. Uh, he so Juleson, Juleson just misses 15. out. As of right now, he's at forty eight. He might have I might have missed a game, but I don't think so. But he's at Wait, very close though. Juleson was twenty fourteen though, right? Yeah, yes. Okay, twenty fifteen would have been Paling. Ooh, he's got, he might be close. No. Oh, sorry. Twenty fifteen was Juleson. 2014 was a legend of the show I've mentioned many times. Who? It's a forward winger. Sherbach? Oh, Sherbach. Oh, oh God. So it's 11 players out of 50. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was only looking at the first round. I don't know why I was doing that. Okay. Between uh, all the rounds. Every round. Okay. Makes sense. So 2015, no one so far. 2017 is no one. Just for some context here, Charles Houdon, we know is now his own Syracuse. He was there. Galchenyuk. McCarran, but he's been, you know, between Nashville and Milwaukee this year. Uh, Jacob De La Rose, who's in Sweden. Sven Andragetto, who is in the Swiss League. Uh, Achiri Lekkonen, guys like Jake Evans and that. Obviously, we know what happened with Sergeyev and Mete, no longer on the team. Yes, very cocky and Emmy. So, I want you to guess now, Patrick. And, by the way, some honorable mentions here. Paling, I think, is up to 39 games. Juleson was at 48 last time I checked. Kale Fleury at 41 uh, Pizzetta is obviously in his first year here. He'll probably hit that. Caulfield's at 20. I think he's up to 27 regular season games, plus the 20 playoff games, but still not quite. Um, and I want you to guess, out of the roster right now, between 2012 and 2018, those players, minimum 50 games, how many are on the roster still? It's going to be Two. funny. Two, uh, right? So it's Lekkonen. And Evans. Evans and Romanov. Oh, right. Yeah. I keep thinking. Yeah. No, it's brutal. It's not good. I don't <laughs> know why like, this has been the <clears> – and I think – like, I, I give a lot of – I'm critical of Bergevin, and I've said that, but Timmons has been there for two decades, and people keep talking about McDonough and Subban and Patch Reddy. 
that was in like 2005 and 2008. You got to move on at a certain point when you have that many picks and people say, well, Tampa didn't always hit on their first round picks. It's like, maybe they didn't, but they were also able to find talent in the later rounds. And in Timmons tenure, I think a lot, I think sometimes he did make the good pick. And sometimes it was the bad pick that was influenced by someone who was six foot nine or whatever. And that's why they made the pick. But I think it's a bit of both. I think a lot of times development, Timmons made the right pick, but it was just brutal development. People were raving about the, the Nikita Sherback pick. Bob McKenzie loved it. So this is a diamond in the rough. This is someone who could be, who, who could be really skilled. I don't think they handled his development the best. I don't think they were the best with Galchenyuk's development, especially under Michel Therrien. I don't like the way they're developing Caulfield. Cole Caulfield is not a bad pick. Cole Caulfield is being handled poorly by a team that does this routinely. I still think Jesperi Kakuyemi has been handled or was handled brutally um, under this management. I, I, I w- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, no, that's, that's, that's fair. And we'll get to, we're going to get to Caulfield. No oh, okay. so go I was going to ask about Caulfield, but if we're going to get to it later. No, then ask your question. We okay. Can- I know. I'm just curious because I think we've had this discussion on the show too. Like how would you handle Caulfield? First line, first power play, offensive zone starts. Uh, I think this team has just an emphasis on playing the right way. And as no, I guess I gotta stop saying that because Bergman's not there. But having a team for the longest time, they had a team that was just two-way, uh, off the rush, four-checking wingers who could generate a lot of offense but couldn't finish. Um, Lackadan's good two-way. Josh Anderson, Brendan Gallagher, just play driving two-way forwards, but didn't necessarily couldn't necessarily put the puck in that. You finally have someone who can do that, and I think they want to focus on his defense. They want to focus on his checking. They want to focus on two-way play. You shouldn't have to do that. He's a pure goal scorer. They haven't had one since Pacioretty. Um, and even then, I still think Caulfield has the ability to score more goals routinely, consistently than, than Pacioretty. I would just give him the best wingers. I would give him first power play. I'd give him offensive zone starts. He's going to make a mistake. And I think the meritocracy needs to end as well because we saw a couple games ago, Josh Anderson had a brutal turnover that led to a goal against. It was probably the worst turnover we've seen this season. Uh, Brennan Gallagher had like five turnovers that game. Caulfield fell and turned the puck over and he was benched and taken off the power play. I think this idea that because you're young, you're, you're more likely to get benched. I don't agree with it. I really think that's something Gordon should, should address. And you have to use Caulfield for what he is, which is a goal scorer. You need to score goals to win. He can do that better than anyone else. He's done it despite being treated extremely poorly by the coaching staff. I saw a tweet. Um, He's up to like five points in his last seven games or six points in his I last think it's eight. Five like in, in six, but yeah, he's he like yeah. he, he's been turning it on. And and that's that's he's doing that despite getting no ice time, despite getting, you know, the worst deployment on the power play. Um, I think, you know, I'm not comparing him to Patrick Kane, but Patrick Kane can't play defense, but they don't care because it's Patrick Kane and he's gonna be offensive. That's how it should be with Caulfield. And I just right. think for the longest time Montreal doesn't know what to do with those players. But use him for what he is, and that's a goal scorer. And I think um, hopefully they start to do that because of all the talents to ruin and that, and that they have destroyed over the last you know decade, this would be the worst one. And I, I really hope they figure it out. It, it sounds like they're trying. It sounds like they're trying to do what John Tortorella did with pa- uh, Patrick Liner. I was about to say that. Yeah. Like, it's like, it, I remember last year, the quote came out where he's like, yeah, we're, we're just, we want him to be a really good power forward. He's not power forward. Like the guy can shoot at the puck. So his ice time lately. Um, so last night, here's what's really annoying, right? Is you know it was it, it feels like the last few games, the time that the power play has been 
right? The least bit, I don't, I don't want to even use the word working because it just doesn't work. Um, it's been when Caulfield's actually been able to get the puck. And I mean, we look at that Suzuki goal. That unit was great. Um, but you look at the power play plus overtime, if we, we consider that. I think he had two short chips that, oh, we'll get to overtimes. Um, but he's, he played a flat 13 minutes last night. He played 16-37 versus Colorado. Um, but that was just a complete mess of a game. Um, 12 minutes against Vancouver and 10 minutes 46 against Pittsburgh. Um, and another guy who is just being abused of his ice time, less than 10 minutes, uh, twice already this year for Matisse Norlander. Um, Vancouver, he played 12 minutes. And another guy, if we're talking about power play stuff. Going to that Colorado game quickly. Um, and I was at the game, so it was 10 times worse to watch. Um, that was a game where I think every defenseman except David Savard was working that power play. And you just kind of think, like, Norlander's whole thing. It's kind of like the same as Caulfield. It's like those two are never going to have a great physical game. But for the love of God, every time the Rottweiler just keeps interrupting. It's just like, I don't think there's a defenseman that can do better when it comes to lateral movement and puck, like, movement itself than Matthias Norlander. <laughs> uh, I think, look, I think this is the thing with Norlander is when he was invited to camp, I really thought that he, he would have a quick camp, maybe play a couple games and they'd send him back to Sweden. I thought that's what they should have done. I tweeted that, but, and I think they should always take their time with prospects. And I know it's a small sample size, but he has looked, he hasn't looked out of place at all, in my opinion, with the, the opportunities he's received. Um, there was a sequence, I can't remember what team it was against, where, Norlander rushes the puck up. He has a give and go with Caulfield, a couple chances in the offensive zone. It was like six games ago. Um, Tibea tweeted it and everyone said, wow, like that's the future. The way Norlander moves the puck, the way he's shooting, and even his physical play. I didn't think he was as physical either, but he, he, he moves around. And I think he's someone that I truly think can be a really good, he's high ceiling, uh, but also a high floor. And I think he can hit that ceiling though, if he's given the opportunity. And I think the way he's handled himself with the media He's kind of cocky. I don't know if you guys saw that, yeah, yeah. that clip where he's like, what do you think went wrong? And he's like, we didn't score enough goals, man. And then everyone's a little bit shocked. But I think Norlander has the potential to be a, a first-pairing defenseman. I genuinely believe that. I just think, again, it's three-on-three. Three. It's the power play. Get your offensive defenseman out there who can skate. Get your offensive forward out there who can shoot and generate something. And we've seen it little glimpses. No one else can do what Norlander does. And I think it was – I don't know if you guys follow um, – Hattie K scouting um, on Twitter, but he posted uh, some clips of Norlander just doing some movements and stuff. And I said, they're not even that impressive. We're just excited because no one else on Montreal can do it. <laughs> and um, I just, I think I, I hope to see the more Gordons involved in the team that those guys get ice time. But I know there's also like an SHL disagreement thing happening, right? Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, so first off, if anyone wants a really, really good follow with like Habs prospects, especially in like sort of Scandinavian leagues, at Zeb underscore Habs is great for that stuff. So for those of you who aren't aware, apparently there is a cutoff date when it comes to transactions in the SHL and that on December 1st. Apparently there is some sort of board of governors meeting the 8th or the 9th that may sort of rectify that and maybe Norlander will go back there. There's some stuff about compensation, financial stuff that the NHL wouldn't want. I'm not completely clear on it, and it's a lot of it's in Swedish, which I don't speak. But yeah, because you would hide a hope, especially now that Kale Clegg's coming in, but um, that you know maybe they decide what they're doing. Because I think again, um, Zeb underscore Habs, great follow. I think at the beginning of the year he he said that 
another year in Sweden could change Norlander to either like this great offensive defenseman or Eric Gustafsson. And you're just kind of like, okay, we've, we've been through that. Yeah. So let's, let's not do that. Um, you've mentioned his name a few times and he's the big main event here. Jeff Gordon. Now I saw you tweet about this and I couldn't have agreed. I, I, you put it perfectly. Um, it was more to do with what I think for first Jeff Molson's, but I think you can apply it to Jeff Gordon's press conference as well. I don't think this city has seen a more refreshing pair of press conferences in a decade. <laughs> yeah. Um, I look back to, I mean, I, I was always a fan and I, I think when I really started getting into it was probably, probably once Jeff Molson took over from George Gillette. I think it's George. I don't remember his first name. And, and that's when the new era with Terry and Bergevin Lefebvre, um, all that stuff. And I remember watching those press conferences, not knowing much, just believing that it was, it would have been good. Uh, but I didn't really know anything about it. But then once I saw that press conference, I realized how bad Bergevin's press conferences were, how bad the Molson, Terry, and Bergevin era was. Um, a lot of cliches, a lot of, you know, not a lot of transparency. And I think he was just saying stuff that Habs fans have just wanted Bergevin to say forever, but never did. Um, speed, skill, um, an analytics department, Habs Twitter freaked out. And he said analytics. Bergevin never cited analytics, uh, at least I, from what I can remember. Um, it was always character, grit, leadership, which are important to an extent. Um, but nothing that Gordon said. And I think the way Gordon was, he was just calm. Um, you can tell he's a pretty forward-thinking hockey executive. And um, he's also lucked out by being with some of the biggest franchises, Boston, New York, and Montreal. I think he knows what it's like to win. Um he just, he doesn't seem as uh, closed off as Bergevin. I, there was a, I think it was back when Galchenik was on the team. Someone asked Bergevin if Montreal had a defensive system that might be hurting Galchenyuk. And Bergevin got really defensive. And he's like leaning forward in the mic and he's saying, what are you saying we have a defensive system for? Who, 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 who does our system differ, differ from? Are we like Tampa? Yeah, Tampa has more offense, but we play the same system as everyone else. And he's just like, he's filling this guy in because he asked a question about defensive systems. Jeff Gordon's not a hostile guy. He's a very calm guy. You could see him on TV when he was doing the draft. Um, everything he said was just refreshing, and it was stuff we haven't heard before. And I think for the longest time, you know, when all of Hab's Twitter can actually agree, I think this is really nice. I think that's a good thing. And um, so far, I'm, I'm really impressed. I want to wait to see who they hire as GM, but yeah. I, I'm very impressed with him. And, you know, just watching him as analyst for the draft, watching him in New York, um, I think we should be very excited to get a hockey executive that that experience. So what the, what was the situation in Montreal with the analytics department beforehand? Because I think the rumor was a couple of years ago, Friedman, uh, I think it was Friedman, had said that Anaheim was the only team in the league uh, without an analytics department. And then based on the reaction, it seemed like Montreal just didn't really deal with analytics. I don't know. So that's like if one of you two. I'm just really curious of what the hell the situation was. From what I know, they have, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Patrick, they have a team and they use it like a spare screwdriver. <laughs> it's not going to be their first option, but they don't have a dedicated sort of a team that they really take seriously, I think is how it works. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I think he's, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't remember a time where he's been asked uh where he's been asked about analytics or he's commented on a department. Um, I remember Jay Fresh put, I think it was Jay Fresh. It might've been Patrick Beacon. He put out basically 
all the different departments that every NHL team has. I don't know how they have access to the data. It might be skewed a little bit. And a lot of teams had analytics, uh, mental health, all this stuff. Montreal had very few. And I don't remember, I don't remember seeing anything with regards to analytics. And I know that when Subban got traded, they had Matt, Matt Pfeiffer or Pfeiffer, I don't know how to say his name, but he basically did an entire presentation to have his management saying, please do not trade PK Subban. Your transition game will suffer. Your offensive game will suffer. Your defensive game will suffer. Please do not trade him. They didn't listen, obviously. <laughs> he was let go and then got hired by David Poyle uh, the, a year later. So I don't know how big of an analytics department they have. Someone tweeted that Bergevin always believed in analytics. I don't think he did. That was pretty <laughs> reflective in his signings. Um, I'm sure they use it to an extent. I'm sure they look at some underlying numbers, but I don't think you know teams like like the Avalanche, for example, who are heavily invested into analytics. Um, I'm pretty sure the Leafs are. Well, Dubas is pretty smart, so I would assume he would be. I don't think they have that. So I think that's what I got the most excited about was knowing that he's going to get puck movers. He's going to get a fast team, a skilled team, and have an analytics department, something Bergevin never really uttered in his press conferences. So I hope they bail out a good department of that, and I'm excited, and I hope there's more transparency too because um, there are a lot of good Habs guys who are big into analytics, and it'd be nice to see them get more recognition and stuff. Just a, a quick thing, just about the the press conference stuff. It's going to be nice that hopefully if, now that there's if there are press conferences with Habs brass, we know that Arpin Basu and whoever the GM is are not going to go back and forth. I'm going to <laughs> miss right. that, but uh, right. it's, it's, it's refreshing. And you talk about transparency. Um, transparency. I think Jeff Gordon was asked, and he said, if we decide that we're going to rebuild, we're going to be open with the fan base. And Montreal is. I think it has a Montreal and its fans have, I think, a very, I think, a bit of an earned reputation for not being patient. But I think I don't know how many Habs fans there are who wouldn't accept a rebuild at this point. Um, the Rottweiler so, would as well. Yeah, yeah no, the Rottweiler is yeah. going crazy. I don't know what. Normally he barks at the start of the episode, but today he's just he's going mad. I don't know what it is. I, think I actually have a question for you guys. So we saw this before when Lou Lamorello went to the Islanders, fired Garth Snow, and then. People asked who's going to be the next GM, and then he said, "Surprise, it's me." Yes. Would, what yes. would you do if I guess like Patrick? Like to hear your opinion first, but if Jeff Gordon also said, "I will also be the GM of the Montreal Canadiens," I'm I I I think I'm okay with it. I don't know how certain members of the media would react to it, but I think uh, I think he serves as a better president. And I guess that's what he's going to be, but he, it's weird. This whole figure, this whole figure that they're going to have to speak to the media. I'm still sort of unclear. And it almost seemed like in their press conference, they kept changing to, well, I'm still the GM. Well, well actually it's both of our decisions or well, it's my decision. And this, they kind of changed back and forth. Um, I'd be okay with Jeff Gordon as general manager. Uh, I would probably prefer him as president and get someone maybe a little bit younger. I'm a big fan of Martin Madden jr. Um, to be to be general manager or at least head of uh, the scouting department, um, I'd be okay with that. Honestly, I look at the moves. You can go to his trade tracker on um, Cap Friendly. He's made he's made great moves with the Rangers, great moves with the Bruins, and um, I'm okay with that. But uh, I'm trying to reserve judgment until I see who they hire. I've seen a lot of names thrown out there. And of course, the media asks ten questions about Patrick Waugh, but um, I think I'd be okay with him as as GM. I really am. Adam. So. I have some candidates that I also I mentioned last episode, but now that like we got you and Daniel here, um, 
Now, some of these are obviously a bit... I have Waugh under coaching and GM just for the hell of it, but I think that press conference made it very clear that Patrick was not going to get hired. I think it was... Uh, I think Gordon handled it really well. I, by the way, like, side note, I thought he handled that whole conference really, really... And listen, my French isn't perfect. I can get around well enough. But, like, listening to it, like, you appreciate the effort, but it was like, oh, man, I can tell this is a yeah. guy from Boston trying his best yeah. here, but... Um, you speak about him getting questions a lot, man. He said he was going to learn French. Just leave him alone. Anyway, yeah. um, so some GN candidates. You talked about Martin Madden Jr. Um, I think a lot of people, that's the sort of number one hire. Um, Matthew Darsh is another one people have been talking about. How would you feel about that? I don't know enough about Matthew Darsh. I've seen this. I know he's been working with Julian Breezeball on Tampa. Um, from what I've heard, he's somewhat forward thinking. I, I just I don't know enough about him and his work. Um, I know there was an interview. I think you might have tweeted it. Where you, you watched an interview of his, and if it wasn't you, that's really weird. But someone someone tweeted. It. I guess there was an interview that came out, and they thought that he had pretty valuable insight, and he seemed like a pretty forward thinking guy. Um, I don't know enough about Matthew Darsh. Honestly, most of my research and um, and investment has been in towards Martin Madden. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know enough about Darsh. But I'm assuming if you're working with Julian Breesbach, who is, in my opinion, a top three, maybe even top two GM in the league, then but I'm, I'm assuming you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, next, I'm going to put these two together because uh, they are sort of not super experienced. Um, that's Danny Briere, who has been really, really talked about, and sort of maybe to a lesser extent, uh, Roberto Lalongo. See if he leaves Florida for uh, go back to Montreal winners. Yeah, Luongo is always the one I hear along with uh, Marty Brodeur as well. And I don't know what they do aside from – I don't know what their roles are. I don't know what Luongo's doing in Florida. Is he, is he so AGM? Is he... Goaltending, I think? It's, it, I like the idea, but maybe, I think you I think you said it a couple weeks ago. I was on your Instagram, and it, you said maybe he'll go back to Vancouver when they figure that stuff out. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that'd be better. I don't, honestly, like these guys, as far as I'm concerned, don't have a resume that says uh, impactful and meaningful uh, to take over GM, even if it is just as the figure. Because I still think if it's if it's Gordon making these moves, Gordon essentially is the general manager. He's just going to have someone talk to the media. Mm-hmm. If it's just a figure to talk to the media, fine. But assuming it is someone like I keep going back to Martin Mann Jr. I'm sorry. Assuming it's someone like him, you also have a figure who can speak French, um, but also handle scouting extremely well. So uh, Luongo is someone I'm not really too familiar with. Danny Breer, I wouldn't mind, but again. I don't know a lot about what these guys do aside from, you know, just used to be playing in the NHL. Rear's a very intelligent guy. I know that like you can watch interviews with him. He's a very, he was a very good hockey player and he's, he seems to be, I would imagine that he's a forward thinking guy. He doesn't seem like someone who would overvalue grit and, and being big and all that stuff. He's a pretty elusive hockey player. And I would hope that he would value skill and stuff like that. And just interviews with him. He's very down to earth and he seems intelligent, but that's all I can really give on Danny Rear because I don't know these guys don't have resumes, right? They don't have transaction history. They don't have signing history. They don't have player opinion history. Um, but I don't hate the Danny Rear <clears throat> move. Maybe if it was a GM of Laval or something like that, start him up. But I think of all the guys you've listed, a lot of them seem like generic hockey men. A lot of the, not that you listed, a lot of the rumored guys are seem like pretty generic hockey men, except for Danny Briere, who seems pretty forward thinking. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that. But again, I don't know what these guys do. So, 
I gotta be quick before the Rottweiler goes again. Um, Patrick Waugh, go, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Tell us about Patrick Waugh. For the chaos, it would be hilarious. Um, but again, he's someone who can't work with anyone else who disagrees with him. Um, I love his passion. I love what he did for the team when he was playing. Um, he's entertaining. Is he ever entertaining, Patrick Waugh? But there is nothing in his resume that suggests he should manage or coach. Maybe if he coach, maybe if he coached the team for a week and got them, you know, fired up and got in a fight, that would be cool. But there's nothing about him that I think, you know. And what was what was his quote? His quote was, "Why not me?" What do they have to lose? What, like, what do they have to thinking? lose? A lot. They have a They're lot to lose. I feel like if he, oh man, um, I don't know. I don't know how he said that and thought that was okay. <laughs> if that's your first thing is well, what does this story franchise have to lose by giving me a shot? You're basically putting yourself down at that point, but it would be funny, but no, we, no, not, no, it can't happen. Can't Coaching. Happen. Also Patrick Waugh. Yeah. Same thing. Um, <laughs> no, he, he, he's an intense, an intense coach and I'm, he has a shelf life. Obviously I think no. for about a month, he would probably get the guys going, but after a while they're going to think, all right, enough relax and you know and then he quit on them like he yeah exactly um uh, go ahead Alex. no i just it was just two other guys i had saw one of them i saw trending on twitter i think the other guy uh friedman brought up on 32 thoughts headlines last night um one was kent hughes and then the other is pat brisson i don't know why pat brisson was trending on twitter but when i clicked on his name uh it was just all people from montreal saying he should be the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. I, I assume I know your answer based off of the inexperience, but like, what would you, because they do have experience uh, dealing with contracts, right? Like that's kind of their job, but there's a lot of inexperience there as well. Yeah. So I like, they're both, I know, I know Brisson's an agent and Ken Hughes is an agent as well. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I was looking at, so my roommate, um, he knows, one of his buddy works for Kent Hughes and there's like an agency where all the, all those French guys practice like Bergeron, Sammy Blay, um, whatever other French players are under those guys, under those agents. Um, a lot of good hockey players, a lot of talented French talent as well. And if that would sort of coincide with some effort to bring more French Canadian talent back to Montreal, um, I can see it, but those contracts are good as well. Those players are under good contracts, but Again, if you want someone who's simply French to be a figure for the media, to speak to the media, then it shouldn't really matter if it's Briere or Luongo or Kent Hughes or Pat Brisson. But if it's someone who's still going to have a say in the moves, then I would probably look for someone more experienced than those two. But it seems fine. I don't know. Like it's, I, always, I thought when, honestly, when, when they said they were looking for a general manager, I thought the names would be, I, knew, I thought it would be Darsh, Madden, Luongo, Brodeur, and now I'm seeing names of people like Briere, like Ken, like uh, yeah, Hughes and 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 Brisson that I never really thought would have come up. Um, but I think they're going to take some time. And I think and I think he said they probably won't even have someone hired before Christmas. So yeah. they're obviously going to take their time. But it's interesting to see a lot of names I've never really heard of um, pop up. And again, it depends. And I keep coming back to this because I, I keep seeing people change their view and change how what Montreal is going to do. If it's just a figure who speaks French, it shouldn't matter. But if it's someone who's going to have a say in the moves, then it needs to matter. And that's why you would have to go with an experienced guy like uh, Martin Madden Jr., who you could tell I'm a fan of. Just, just hire him. <laughs> if you want someone who speaks French to talk to me, just go, like, go get Elise Beliveau. You know exactly. I mean? 
Exactly. She's great. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and, and Molson, not Molson, um, Gordon did say that they might make a hire that's outside the box and go get Chris Letang and Patrice Bergeron's agent. Why not? Um, exactly. That was weird. Um, so, um, for coaching side of things, we know Ducharme will be head coach for the rest of the season, which is a bit concerning, but the tank is real. Let's go. Um, let's get more Habs fans going to Shane Wright's games and showing him jerseys. That was great. Um, the coaching, I, the coaches I have here, I just I just threw together some names. Um, I won't ask what each individual one, but I'll list some quick, quick ones. And if you have anyone else in mind, this is me assuming that Don Ducharme is going to get fired because... Help us if not. Um, I just Guy Boucher because why not? He'll come in for a year. Bring back Claude Julien just for another year. Why not? Um, and then two guys I can actually think of: pa- uh, Pascal Vincent, the assistant in Columbus, used to be head of AHO Manitoba, and Stefan Julien, head coach slash GM of the Sherbrooke Phoenix. Um, just another one for those of you who don't know. Represents um, Joshua. Wa- no, not represents, but coaches Joshua Wa again. Congrats on making. World Juniors and after selection camp Patrick, for now, selection camp, not Juniors. yet, not yet. No, yeah, sorry, yeah, so yes. the selection <laughs> camp. Um, we're gonna talk about that later. By the way, that'll be fun. Brand Clark, I'm so sorry, my man. Um, do you have any sort of coaches that maybe I've I've overlooked here that you would look at? And caveat, unfortunately, being they gotta be French. Um, I like the Pascal Vincent show. It's Pascal, right? Okay, I like that show. Um, over in Columbus, but. Um, <clears throat> Guy Boucher is way too, Guy Boucher is very smart, but he's also way too old school for a team that's trying to now be built on speed and skill. Um, a rumor I saw, and it's very specific, is if, if Gorton hires Martin Madden Jr., maybe he has a say in bringing Joel Bouchard back to Montreal. Don't play with my heart, Patrick. <clears throat> um, Don't do it. <laughs> but at the same time, um, I don't know if you guys ever watched uh, Habs Tonight, Dale Weiss's podcast. Apparently, there were some issues with um, with Joel Bouchard in uh, in Laval. He wasn't as loved as as people think, and apparently, he had a very intense mentality and wasn't always the nicest to the players. Again, I don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, from what I had seen from interviews with him, he seemed really smart. He got the most out of that team every single night, even nights they lost. They played full sixty intensity. Um, a lot of offense. So I think there's always going to be mixed views when it comes to coaches, but I think he was the guy for the longest time. Even when, when people were excited about Ducharme, I was excited about Ducharme. I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was all for it. But once that happened, people knew that, you know, even if Ducharme stays there for a year or two, Bouchard's still the next guy um, mm-hmm. because he has experience and he, he seems like someone who, who has the voice to be an NHL coach, where I think Ducharme probably works the best as an assistant. He's not really a passionate guy. He's never really shown energy, even with the media. Yeah. You know, they'll lose brutal games, and I'm waiting for Ducharme to just snap at Arpon or Angles or someone and just just get upset, but he just doesn't every single time. And there's just no raw emotion, which I think we saw with Joel Bouchard. Um, so I'll have to find the link, and I'll send, I can send it to you guys after the show about some of the issues with Joel Bouchard. But um from what I saw interview wise and Laval wise, he seemed like a great candidate, <clears throat> but um, again, have to speak French. So I'm looking at, at Vincent, I'm looking at Bouchard. Um, and then maybe a guy like Briere as a head coach might be different or better than as a general manager. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, how many French Canadian candidates are, are out there, right? That's true. And that's, that's always the thing that's going to hold them back. Eh? It's uh 
it's, it's so frustrating. I, you know, I was trying to explain it to a friend of mine and I'm like, if you put, and they're kind of a casual fan, but I was just like, if you put, um, and I said this be- before the Kyle Beat stuff. So, you know, when I say Quinville, please keep that in mind. But I was like, if you put like Quinville, if you put, um, you know, Barry Trotz, if you put all the coaches in the, in the way, like right there, and then just throw in some random French guy that they always have priority. It just, it, it's very, and I think Molson was asked about the French Canadian thing and he, he tried to explain it and it gets the thing to the fans and um, an argument for, or a discussion for another day. I believe you have an article that you pinned on your Twitter that talks a big about that. So check that out. And by the way, at the end, before you go, we'll, we'll let you just plug everything we need to okay. plug, but um, that's worth checking out. So um, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, Can I interest thing, you in Alain Vigneault though? I'm just Alex Skip. No, don't do that. <laughs> He'd be the, the he finishes the Triforce of coaches coming back. That's true. Early two oh, thousands, right? Yeah. So that'd be pretty funny. Another- Rodney Cuddyworth is not coming back. Absolutely. No, okay. okay. Unless we want more protests outside the bus, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> What's really good? Another thing from Gordon I really really liked was um, talking about working with young players and the communication. Something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago was that that interview that at Bergman did in French, it was the one where he's like, I wanted to draft Morgan Riley. Um, he trashed patch radio without naming him. Uh, and he mentioned that Caulfield was going back for a second year at, um, in Wisconsin. And that's how Caulfield found out. I mentioned this because Jordan Harris, a couple weeks ago was mentioned to Bergman in an interview when he was saying, well, we can't do anything if he wants to leave. And the reason I bring this up is because obviously, for those of you who don't know, Jordan Harris is in his last year in the NCAA, and he can he can leave. He can be a free agent at the end of the year. The dog is just awful timing today. Um, and I just think it's really important that, and it's kind of amazing that you don't have that much sort of communication to begin with with your young players, or it sounds like that's the way Bergeron is. But I feel like something that Montreal sort of missed with their young players is the communication. I was talking to someone, they're like, what would you do if you were taking over the Habs? And it's like, it goes back to that culture as well of the players are afraid to make mistakes. Is you need to really foster these young players because it's just such a, I like to imagine that. So what, you're 20, 21, Patrick? 22. So 22. So, okay, you and I were 22, Alex 21 now, and then Alex, I mean, and Daniel a few years. Could you just imagine going back to when you're 18 and then you go, let's say you're an NCAA guy and you go from, Going to school every, I don't know how many classes they really go to, but you know what, being in that environment to then into the world of being drafted. I just think it's it's really, I thought that was, to me, was my biggest takeaway of they can really open those communication lines with players because if Caulfield gets sent down, which I have a horrible feeling he probably will be when Paul Byron gets back, I really hope that they, they, they say to him, you know what, dude, this isn't on you. Because I feel he's getting so like done so dirty. I think he. I'm ranting a little bit here, but I was keeping an eye out very quickly for his. Like first off, he had that eight second power play shift against Colorado. He wasn't on the five on three last night, and it just makes you want to pull your hair out. It's it's so so frustrating, man. Um, moving on. Um, just quickly wanted to go back for those of you who just missed the kind of news around the Habs the last couple of days. Joss Anderson's out two to four weeks. List joins the very long list of players who are out. Uh, Gallagher and Sami Nuku, we wish them well. Apparently, they're con- uh, confirmed with COVID. I don't think they had symptoms, but they're out for at least another eight days um, and all that. Um, one last thing I want to ask you about, Patrick, in regards to the Habs. And that's the, I, I think it would be cool if we, we all have a discussion here because I think it's, it's sort of the biggest takeaway. 
So at that Colorado game, as we know, um, beside Ben Chirot scoring a nasty goal on the power play, love to see it. Going to get a first round pick. Going to be lovely. Uh, thank you, Toronto, because that's going to happen. Um, third period, game's not going well. A jersey is thrown on the ice. I think after last night in Vancouver, it's three out of the seven Canadian teams have had jerseys thrown on the ice. Alex, I liked your tweet about let's go seven for seven by the yeah. end. That was yeah. pretty fun. Um, it turned out it was a Sergei Kostitsin jersey. First off, what the who buys a Sergei Kostitsin <laughs> wow, jersey? Wow, throwback. Yeah. So, and his whole thing was the guy went on French radio and was talking about that he was fed up with the high prices and, um, you know, what and how expensive everything is, even with the team being so bad. First off, and again, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really going off here. Before we get into the real discussion of like, of, of tossing a jersey on the ice. So you buy a jersey that I think today are what, two, three hundred dollars, right? Yep. Yeah. You go to the game. Which, you know, tickets are probably, unless you bother early in the season. He, he was in the lower bowl. So. so, okay. So he's still paying a significant <laughs> amount of money. Okay. He's probably had one or two of those expensive beers or something. And I think if you get like a large thing of Coke, it's still four bucks, right? And you're mad about the money and you throw your jersey on the ice. Like, how much money did you waste that night? I just wanted to turn to there. But anyway, so the discussion I really want to have here is... How you guys feel about jerseys being thrown on the ice? And I'm not going to go off about my opinion because I've been talking too much. I'll do it once you guys are done. And I'll start with you, Patrick, because and Ducharme was asked and he was still flat about it. You know what? I have a lot of respect for that jersey and Suzuki thought it was one of his. It's just your opinion, especially when it's the Habs logo. You know what I mean? Like, what did you think of the jersey toss? Well, real quick, when Ducharme said, excuse me, when Ducharme said, I have a lot of respect for that jersey, someone responded and said, I guess we can rule it out being a cool Caulfield jersey. Um, (laughs) But, but um, no, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, Well, I I don't like it as a general thing. I don't like it, but Mm -hmm. I I like that it sends a message that Habs fans are not okay with what's happening with this team, how Mm -hmm. it's being coached, how it's being managed how the young players are being developed um <clears throat> no one likes that i don't think you should throw a jersey on the ice it's also dangerous um it's a waste of money you can donate a jersey you can do literally anything else with it i don't like the act of doing it uh but i don't hate what it represents if that sort of makes sense which is fans are upset uh fans are tired of the same thing and that kind of ties into the rebuild discussion which is Again, people seem to think that Montreal can't handle a rebuild because we're impatient. I don't know what we've been doing for the last 30 years. Uh, nothing has really changed. I think Habs fans would much rather, you know, three years in the basement if, 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 over 15 years of, you know, maybe winning a round and stuff like that. So um, I don't like it. I think you can donate it, give it to charity. Uh, keep it, wear it. Don't throw it on the ice. It's dangerous. It's stupid. It's selfish. Also, complaining about tickets being so expensive and the on ice product being bad, but then spending the money to go see the on ice product that is bad and then complaining about it doesn't really make any sense. That guy had the most twisted logic. I agree with him. Tickets are too expensive and beer is too expensive, mm-hmm. but you don't, you're not proving anything to Molson by paying for it. Uh, anyway, but, but yeah, um, I like, I like what it represents because I think it can force inflicts and change, but I don't like it as like a general, general rule. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Alex, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I've seen my fair share of jerseys thrown on the ice in Toronto. Uh, Salute Gate, Waffle Gate, all that kind of stuff. But like, I just, I don't see, I get the idea behind it. Number one, like for a guy like Jeff Molson, you've already spent the money 
throwing the jersey on the ice, I guess, is a symbol of something. But I don't think at the end of the day, someone is going to um, – I don't know if that's going to change Jeff Molson's mindset. I think he had enough of what was going on, and I think he heard from the fans mm-hmm. outside of that. I just think they're billionaires, man. Like They don't care that you throw your jersey over the ice because at the end of the day – okay, don't come back to the game in Montreal. Someone will easily take that ticket. If we're like, if this is Arizona or if this is Ottawa, where they're throwing a Jersey on the ice and then people stop showing up to games. Well, that's going to, that's going to cause a scene because Ottawa and Arizona can barely fill their building. I just think there has to be other ways to do it other than throwing the Jersey on the ice. Cause at the end of the day, these guys are billionaires whether you're whether that guy personally is at the game or not, someone else will take that spot very easily. Daniel, you're the biggest Jersey guy of the lot of us. I'd love to hear you on this. Uh, yeah, I think for me, and I, I really like what you guys said, where I'm not necessarily a fan of the act, but I see it as a statement, not for the owners, not for the billionaires and millionaires, but more for the players and because they tend to be the ones that are more outspoken about when stuff like this happens. And I think it's an indication of this is what the public views the team right now. And this is what we see the ice on ice product. And Adam, Alex said it as well, that we've gone through all of it. You know, we've seen the jerseys, we've seen the waffles and we've seen that as much as we see it as a meme, we see the reactions of players. I remember Morgan Riley was, uh, very vocal about what happened with that or you know we talk about it so many times Phil Kessel he spoke out so many times about all these incidents happening maybe it's just they tend to be the one that go to him for the questions but I think that's something too that I don't like it but I could see as I could see that something's very subtle that we view as something okay this is funny in the moment but it is going to be remembered whether or not this team is rebuilt properly you know the timing was really confusing to me because well, you knew Jeff Gordon was going to talk the next morning, but it was it was your if you're if it was like in Vancouver, I'd get it because we have no idea what the Canucks are doing. But you knew you're about to talk to this you know very well you know thoughtful GM that you're or president. He's basically the GM for now. Um, also came out with his play, and so it's like there's vision, more vision than this team's had in a really long time. But so I think what's really important, and I think a lot of people with NHL players is like, ah, you're millionaires. I think perspective is really important here. So I was thinking about this a lot last night because right after the game, I was really, I was, I was really mad when I saw it. Um, and so I was thinking about it a lot, and I thought, if you're, let's say Nick Suzuki, because he thought it was one of his jerseys. And first off, just again, why are you getting a Sergei Kostitsin jersey back in the day? At least get Andre. You know what I mean? There's good players. Oh, Sergei. But so because players, I think the Habs is as poorly as they're playing. I don't think they're giving up games. They're just not well coached. And well, there's so many problems with the roster that we didn't even get to today. And maybe we can have you on again, Patrick, to really sort of go through that. But um, if you're them and like you feel this, Montreal's a market where you can feel it on the players. Like they go home and they're not just like, ah, well, feed up. Let's go tomorrow, boys. Especially with the traffic in Montreal, it's going to be a couple hours before they get home. And I just kind of think like the mental thing of that. I get that like fans are upset in that. Like, I'm never going to throw a jersey on the ice, for example. But it's just like, I imagine like you could, you know that Simpsons meme of like, you can see Ralph's face the moment his heart is broken. Like, 
I I wish there was a camera almost on the Habs to just kind of be like, like crap. Like I just think if that was me, and maybe I'm being dramatic here. I'm a dramatic person. Um, like that would really hurt. Like it just because it feels like that's the fans almost turning their back. Um, but like yeah, the, the tickets aren't dropping. I mean, it, it's what's so frustrating too is attendance is still decent. Like I think they were at like ninety four percent for that game. Anyway, um, that's just me. Although I just I just really really don't like it. <laughs> No, I think you're right. I think it hurts the players and the coaches more than it hurts anybody else. Like, I don't think the owner, I, I understand they they own the team. I get Jeff Molson owns the team, but I don't think he views it the same way as someone who day in, day out, wears that jersey, wears that logo on their chest. I don't think he, Molson or even Bergevin or Gordon feels it the same way that the players do. If you're Matthew Perot, you know, this guy, you know, homegrown guy, and think before what happened with his eye. Luckily, he's back and playing now. That's really awesome. But, you know, this guy gets a hat trick in front of the, the, the fans. You know, a great moment. If you're a homegrown guy there and you see that, that's just, that hurts, man. That hurts. Um, Daniel, go ahead. Oh, um, so this has, we, we've spoken a lot about the jerseys, and I just kind of want to lighten up things because, um, Patrick, we've asked a lot of, I guess, uh, questions about this and you as a big Montreal fan. Um, I guess this is more on the humorous side of things, but what is your view? And we'd love to hear the full extent of it of Gianni Fairbrother. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to go to yeah, Gianni yeah, Fairbrother. Yes, I know that was off the dock. Yeah. Before you answer this, Daniel just quickly sent us a message. He's like, I want to ask you a very random question. <laughs> Why um, did you were going to go Gianni Fairbrother? I know it's a very it's a very Mark Bergevin pick. He's a very tough stay-at-home defenseman who can move the puck, I think, but better than people expect. Um, when he got drafted, that was 2018, I think, um, there was a player I wanted ahead of him. Hang on, let me pull it up on the DB. Uh, I don't know enough about him. I think he'll be a bottom four, bottom pair kind of guy. I don't think he has as much upside. 2019, hang on. Third round. Uh, let me see. I really wanted... The guy Vegas got two picks later, uh, Paolo Dorofeyev, because um, he was an upside guy. But I don't have, I don't think about Johnny Fairbrother uh, in my free time. If I can be completely honest, I think he's okay. Um, I like Jan Mishak. I like any other prospect. I don't really care about Johnny Fairbrother. If I can be honest, you know what? In preseason, he looked good with Brett Kulak. He did. He did. He did. That was, uh, I, I'll tell you, one time, I remember, I think it was when they signed to his ELC. I saw his name, because we, we obviously, we just add stuff to the doc that I sent you. And I just saw Gianni, Gianni Fairbrother. I'm like, who the heck? We're going to talk about him? Okay. And Daniel was just like, I like his name. It's like, okay. Good name. Good talk. Name. It is You're a right. gold star name. name. I think it's the yeah. best name in the organization. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Or maybe there's someone. At least freaking like. At least for the Canadian teams, him and Angus Crookshank on the Senators are probably like, those are the top tier names. What's his name? Oh my God, Patrick, you're going to remember this. Um, it's It was like Arbor. It's the really weird name. Oh, Arbor, was, uh, the Jack guy. Yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it was like X-E-J. And yeah. It was good too. He got a contract out of it. Hilarious. Um, okay. Anything you'd like to say on the Habs or anything before we uh, we let you go here? Um, I want to plug some Martin Madden, uh, junior stats real quick. Um, because I really, I really hope they hire him. And if, if he's the guy, I will be extremely grateful. And I, anyway, um, for the last 14 seasons, 
first 12, he was director of amateur scouting. In the past two, he was assistant GM in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we didn't talk about him too much. I just want to like hammer home that he, I think in my opinion, I don't know what you guys think. I, I, I guys meant think. to I ask you, he, but I forgot. So sorry about that's that. That's okay. Oh, take the time think, you need, man. Um, the past two seasons uh, and the 12 seasons of him being director of amateur scouting, the ducks have drafted uh, Drysdale, Zegris, Terry, Comtois, Steele, Shea Theodore, Hampus, Lindholm, Ricard Raquel, Cam Fowler, uh, Kyle Palmieri, Sammy Vatten, and John Gibson, William Carlson, and Josh Manson. Um, there's just a, a list of he, – he values skill, and he just – he gets it with players. Um, his dad was GM of the Nordiques. I'm pretty sure his wife is from Quebec or the Montreal area because um, I know there was a lot of talk about, about um, you know, him mm-hmm. being the next GM. So I really think that's a good one. And, uh, yeah. No, no, fair enough. I think Eric, the joke has always been with like the Ducks. It's like, man, those defensemen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, he's right behind it. I think people have been, I never heard of him before this year, to be honest, but it's, and everyone's just like that. This guy's like the king of drafting. It's like, why have I never heard of him? Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's weird when all of a sudden one of those big markets are like, we want a guy. It's like, well, let me tell you about Martin Mann Jr. But uh, yeah, and I think he's a lot of people sort of go-to guy. And you know what I wonder is because, you know what? We know that Montreal are a very secret organization. I don't hear much. And like, obviously, Jeff Gordon was like, "What's going on here?" And that was all of a sudden. I wonder if it's because maybe if we haven't heard a lot of Martin Madden, we've heard like obviously like apparently Matthew Darsh is open to talk if they need to because Breezeball doesn't believe in holding people back. Love to see it. I, I'm I'm kind of hoping it's like we haven't heard anything about him yet. So maybe, but um, as of when Gordon talked, apparently they don't have their list quite set yet. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I like Jeff Gordon. He's a, uh, he's, I liked his press conference a lot. Again, that part of like, I, I've been learning golf for 30 years. I'm still bad at it. Um, was good. That was good. Cause you know that the media was at, the media were pretty serious with their questions and he's like, be patient. I'm learning golf there. Why don't just, he, he had a humorous response to every question when someone asked with Patrick, why he's like, yeah, I've heard of him. Um, <laughs> that you was know, just great. Yeah. little comments. I think he, he knows that it's a pressure. It's, it's a microscope. It's a bunch of pressure in Montreal. And I think if there's one person who can handle it, like, I think Bergevin did a good job with the pressure as well. Um, to an extent, I think, I think the overall pressure, he did a good job with media pressure sometimes. And I'm not talking specifically, well, mainly Arpon Basu, he would, he would, he would snap. And I just think he had a hard time with it. And there were some times when a Bergevin press conference would be like, okay, he seems calm. And, but I also think, him never caving to the pressure also served as a weakness. Um, you know, always saying, well, I don't want to sacrifice the future. I'm not going to trade a first round pick. I'm not going to go all in. You never know what can happen. Um, you know, make the playoffs. You never know what's going to happen if you go all the way, all that stuff. I think that served as a strength and a weakness for him. But as far as Gordon, I think he's, he's been in all the big markets. He's done this for his career. He's not someone that I think will will snap at the media. I don't think he'll get upset at Arpon Basu um, as much as Mark Bergevin did. If he did, then maybe Basu needs to figure out his questions, but I, I love Basu. He's my favorite yeah. reporter, but um, I, uh, I, I like what I'm seeing. And it just, it genuinely feels like a, like a, a fresh start and finally something that everyone can agree on and look forward to. And I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with it. Five words. I hope I count this right quickly in my head that will define Mark Bergevin. I'm not mortgaging the future. Yes. And all of them flamed out. Um, all right. Wait, can I ask a question to both of you? I think. Um, is there still any Mark Bergevin lovers in Montreal? 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's some. Plenty I don't want to. Okay. No, I don't want to flame some of the people on Twitter, but there no, are a lot fair, of people who fair. are who are who had a big obsession, and and he had he had he had good qualities. Um, he he wasn't awful. He wasn't the worst GM ever. He 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 made some good moves. Yeah. Um, but can he build a team? I don't think so. I think he'd be a. I think he'd be a flawless assistant GM. <laughs> but you're running my favorite team. Do a better job. <laughs> Exactly. Are, there, are there any journalists that I should look out for who are pro Mark Bergevin? I don't think he's pro. I think, okay, well, we know where Arpon Basu stands, uh, <laughs> yeah. the organization. Um, is it Francois Gagnon, I'm thinking of, who's Gagnon, the French one that's just. Yeah, Gagnon. A lot of the guys, like, that's the thing. I, the journalists I really pay attention to. It's mainly Arpon Basu and Marc Antoine Gadang, the two the two athletic guys in Montreal. Those are the guys that I I look to for information and quotes. And I think they they're not they're not always objective, which I think is a good thing. Like I, th- I think Arpon Basu's kind of given up. He tweeted something when Anderson had that turnover. He said, "Oh, Josh Anderson thinks he has a teammate there. He didn't have a teammate there, and now the other team scored. Way to go!" Stuff like that. I think it's kind of funny. Um, as far as pro Bergevin, I think Eric Engels and him had a good relationship because they had a lot of interviews together. Um, and I think that's someone who has a more of a difficult time criticizing the organization. Um, but um, then, then there are always guys on TVA and like yeah. RDS who are like fringe guys who, you know, I think it was uh, Norman Flynn who wanted Suzuki in a second trade for Wayne Simmons. Do you guys remember when that was a thing? What? There was some, I'll see if I can find the clip. I might not have been Norman Flynn, but it was someone on RDS or TVA who proposed a Suzuki for Simmons trade because Montreal was a small team. So when he was in New uh, Jersey, uh, when he was in Philly, no, oh, no, no. Cause Suzuki wouldn't have been a hub. Yeah. When he was yeah. in New Jersey then I think, yeah, Man, New Jersey, New Jersey should have just taken that off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would have been it. I think I would have cut the time. <laughs> that would yeah. have been it. Yeah, yeah. So off that Nashville stint, yeah, was like he's going to fix in that front thing for the power play, and I don't yeah. think Nashville had scored on the power play for the rest of the year or something. Yeah, so I'm That's hoping, right. I'm hoping just we all want them to lose. They're not making the playoffs. They need to finish top ten to get that pick. I think, and my roommate tweeted it last night. Um, he's in the same program as I. I mean, he just said like everyone wants them to lose. No one wants them to win at this point. We need a high pick. Um, even if it's not Shane Wright, there's Simon Nemich, there's uh, Savoie, there's a bunch of other players. But lose and play the young guys. That way it's exciting for the fans to get a glimpse at the future. Play Norlander on the power play, play Caulfield, play Paling, who looks fantastic, by the way. I've not yeah. mentioned him. He's been unreal. Um, lose lose those games. Lose all the games, but play the kids. And I know they have to get the value out of Sherratt and those guys, but play the kids more. And I really hope Gordon emphasizes that like, you're not, we understand Ducharme's not going to win, but play the kids a little bit. And I, I don't, I don't want to watch Ben Chirot all the time. I don't want to watch. Him <laughs> oh man, don't, don't get me. So when you figure out what you scored that, that power play goal, I was, I was, I was with my family and like my brother was next to me and I'm just like, Scott, I, I was just trashing him so much. I'm like, oh, Norlander should be here and what's Sherratt's going to score two seconds later. I think, what was it? It was like bar, Post in, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. But no, he's um, I, I'm right there with you. How the, the heck he's gonna get a his shooting percentage is like three times as normal. I, I, if they honestly, if that first report is true, then I. Oh, I think, I think, I think it's true, and I think a lot of people. Sorry, I know I'm taking up. I don't want to take up too much time, but I think uh, 
I think the people that love Sherratt are going to twist him potentially fetching a first into them thinking he's actually good. Um, Sherratt has, Sherratt's okay, but G, uh, in, when defensemen are in their early 30s, they're going to start to decline. Next year, Sherratt's going to decline. Um, the Sherratt from last year, the Sherratt from Winnipeg is the true Sherratt. This is just contract year. You know, He's going to get a first. I, I, I would almost guarantee he gets a first. And I think that would probably be to Edmonton because they need some help on defense. And, and again, we know how Edmonton's management is. I think if Edmonton was smart, they should look at Brett Kulak because he's from Alberta and he would actually add some mobility and two-way value that Sherratt couldn't. But I think it's, if I were to bet, I think Sherratt's going to Edmonton for a first easy. And if Edmonton gets bounced in the first round, that first is like 18th overall that Montreal adds. So um, it'd be interesting to see what they do. But I, I, I think it's all but, it's, I think he's he's gone. He's gone for sure. I can't handle a I can't handle any more pitcher rot. <laughs> man, seeing him three shifts in overtime and it's just like man, Norlander's just dying. Anyway, um, yeah, no, it, it hurts, man. It 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 hurts. Um, all right. Um, you've been very gracious with your time, so we appreciate that. Um, yeah, maybe we'll have you on. Um, you know, before the deadline and just be like, all right, let's evaluate who can go, what they're gonna do, and all that type of stuff. Um, because it will be the most exciting thing to do with the Habs for a while now, or probably when they do the GM thing. But it's it's. I was so mad. I was I was nervous during overtime last night. I'm like, Adam, what are you doing to yourself? Anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's it. So again, thank you, Patrick, for coming on. Um, plug your gut. Plug everything. Go ahead. Open um, stage. Not much, really. Um, I write the occasional uh, blog or column for a winning habit. Um, I had a podcast that I was doing for the past couple of years. This semester got too busy, but we me and my uh, two other friends in my program, we do a podcast for fan sided uh, called take to take just a hockey podcast. When we get that going, we'll be happy to have you guys on if you want to come on. Um, and yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick E Talon, T A L L O N. Um, it's exclusively, well, for the most part, it's just hab stuff, but um, yeah. Thanks so much guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. And um, look forward to doing this again soon. Pleasure was all, uh, all ours, my friend. Um, we'll be back in a second. We'll talk about the Minnesota Leafs game. We'll talk about World Juniors. Uh, we're going to make fun of those Nashville jerseys because teams just can't get it right. Uh, we'll see you in a second. All right. Uh, we're back, guys. Again, thank you to Patrick for coming on. Always uh, always nice to uh, to talk, Habs. Uh, great guy, knowledgeable guy, so yeah, go hopefully. check him out, all his great stuff. sweaters. Again, that was, that was a nice. It was my sweater. I'm still surprised he hit him with a Gianni Fairbrother at the end. I, I had expecting. to. I had to. Mm-hmm. All right. Um... A lot of Habs stuff. This should be the last Habs extraordinarily centered. Obviously, we talk about Montreal and Toronto mainly, but if mm-hmm. you've been like, God, you're talking an awful lot about Montreal especially. Yeah, they fired everyone. Yeah. like Happens. Yeah. Stuff's happening, man. Happens, <laughs> oh, great. The Leafs keep winning. Uh, what can we say? But what we can talk about last say? night, though, because yeah, um, a, a wild game against the wild. I did not mean to do that. Hey. Um, whoa. Hey, I, thought, whoa. I thought Daniel only does the puns on the podcast. The moment I said wild and I looked at it was the wild game. Like, oh, I've walked uh, right into it. Yeah. Anyway, um, it is. It was a wild game for. I did it again. Oh yeah. It was a. Uh, it was an insane game. It was lots of lots of action. Um, lots of ups and downs. So you said, Al, before we start recording, Alex, that what? So Marcus Felino's not going to see any action. Or that no is, yeah, that's what uh, Russo said. I forgot his first name. Michael. Uh, Michael. Russo. Michael Russo. Not Justin, uh, like I no. always say. <laughs> Justin. So, no, yeah. If you missed it, 
I think it was Jerry toward the end of the first period. Ah, uh, yes. Um, there's a bit of a scrum, and Marcus Foligno initially is, is going off to a, a line change. He's sitting on the sort of the boards of the bench. Like, his feet are off the ice, but no one has substituted in for him. So technically, there is not a line change, but he's off the ice. Uh, there's a bit of there's nah, sorry. There's a bit of a scrum. Wayne Simmons is there too, um, trying to pick a fight. Wayne Simmons, you know what he's all about. Felino then gets off of the bench, back onto the ice, and goes after Simmons. So if you don't know, there's a rule in the NHL: if you do an illegal line change and you go out to start a fight, it's an automatic ten-game suspension. It happened to David Clarkson. Um, there's someone else I was reading it happened to. I can't quite remember. Um, you said but, Paul Bizonette last night. Paul Bizonette, Paul yes. Bizonette, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. So because it was apparently not a technical, complete line change, it looks like Marcus Foligno is not getting any, any sort of uh, discipline here. Now, it must be – I'm assuming he's now – What's? Oh, let's see, did you guys see the, the pregame video stuff? It was all about, like, his family and his mom who passed away from I think it was cancer and how much it, oh, it yeah. meant to uh, – Oh, yeah. That was a big story in the World Juniors as well. Yeah. yeah for him. So – but what's so unfortunate is I think he's all of a sudden public enemy number one in Toronto because he scores. There was the Jap Campbell stuff, which should have been a penalty. But first off, do you agree with the suspension not seeming to happen? Because I thought that was pretty clear he left the bench. I, I thought I, that should have been the suspension at least. I think it's a bit of a gray area um, because I believe in the rule book. If it's um, too many men on the ice, if you're sitting, if you're in that position that he was in, technically that means you're off the ice. So Mm -hmm. it's not too many men. Um, So I guess, again, like it's just a gray area. I mean, I would have said personally, I would have said he was off the ice, regardless of if it was against the Leafs or not. I just think he's literally has one leg in the bench. Like, I don't know. Yes. He's not technically his ass isn't on the bench, but like he pretty much is on the bench. So uh, to me, that would be a suspension. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Alex that it is really difficult because when we use, I guess what set the precedence for this was David Clarkson. The guy didn't have a shift. He literally just stood up from his seat to defend Phil Kessel. And um, looking back on that, I remember when that was praising, like, oh, yeah, he's bringing back the toughness that Toronto missed. But, you know, now hindsight is like, okay, like that was already kind of, um, that was like, uh, what's that word again? Foreshadowing yeah. what his tenure was going to be like for the Leafs. And it's tough because, Marcus Foligno technically was in and out. Like he wasn't completely on the bench yet. It's just, yeah, when Clarkson is just, the guy actually just jumped off the bench. This is the rule that Elliot Freeman tweeted. So this is 70.2 legal line change. A player who has entered the game while play is in progress from his own player's bench or legally from the penalty bench, penalty time expired, who starts an altercation may be subject to discipline and according to rule 28 supplementary discipline. A player or players who have entered the game on a legal line change during the stoppage of play who line up in preparation for the ensuing faceoff and who participate in altercation shall be penalized under the appropriate rule and subject to discipline in accordance with Rule 28. Um, so it, it because I guess there was no line change technically, as you guys are saying, there's a gray line. And I think that's what really saved him. Because otherwise, I think, I think Marcus Foligno ain't playing for a while. But um, that's... 
It was a while. I, I keep doing it. I'm so glad. <laughs> but what's kind of insane about that game is the Leafs at one point erased a three nothing, three nothing dis. Um, not discipline. What am I doing here? Three nothing deficit. I'm just not used to talking because I just got to listen to Patrick talk for a while. Great and seriously, love that guy. Um, you're listening. Hey man, I can't wait to have you back on. But Jason Spezza. First off, Alex. Mm. Shout out that guy. Who was oh, it? Oh, yeah. Tell the uh, story here. Producer Clark, Clark Monroe. Uh, he's, I believe he's producer on uh, the Rod Peterson show. Um, he had duetted or what? duetted one of our clips of specifically about Jason Spezza. Um, so shout out to him for doing that. It's the first you. time that's ever yeah. happened. So it's like pretty two cool. one. Good discussion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it. Kind of made happy. our day. I wish I was on that episode, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. happy for us. <laughs> Love to see cool. it. Um, but yeah, it was it it was insane. I almost did it at the end, by the way. I'm either saying that or insane. I got a I got a broad in the dictionary. So Jason Spencer just continues to just be this sort of beacon of light that whenever the the Leafs are in trouble, it's just like you you wave the Spezza. You know how like there's the bat signal. It's just the Spezza right. signal. And it's the Italian flag. It's like it's like the <laughs> so, power up, you know what I mean? Like where it doesn't last forever because he. What did someone say? He still has first line skills, just fourth line legs. Mm-hmm. It's just like that where, you know, when you get the power up. Uh um, yeah yeah, like Mario Kart. Yeah, and it doesn't last forever, but you get it at the crucial times. I don't know, man. I, I'm getting a little annoyed when I be playing like 200 CC and I get a, a green shell when I'm in third place on the last lap. I'd like some reds or like a blue shell, but you know, don't mind me. But no, he's he's just it's hilarious that in the it's funny the clip that of um that the, the guy used was of Alex saying, you know what, he's an older player, but he's useful. It's just you don't know how long the well will last with Jason Spezza. But he's such an like an important part of that team. He's not like he doesn't wear a leather or anything, but he's honestly like an honorary captain. He's just so likable too. Yeah, and we saw it in the again, I brought it up last episode, but we saw it in that documentary, right? In the I think it was the first episode where he's talking to Keith about what's going on in the locker room. And like to me, that is more than just being a guy on the fourth line. Like I don't know. If you go to many other teams and look at their fourth line players, if they're having those type of um, discussions with the coach. And I, I think that's why maybe he's not underrated skill wise, but he's underappreciated. I will go with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the intangibles that he brings to the team where it's just for based on like, you know, salary aside, it's just so much more valued than we think of what Jason Sabetsa gives to this team. It's okay to get a character guy, but it's not important to build your team purely for character. Right. Almost to a point. So um, it's fine tuning. You know, he's a, I don't mean to be rude. I'm, I'm kind of maybe going against myself here, but he's almost like a spare part, but he's a damn good spare part. You yeah. know what I mean? I like him. I like him a lot. Mm. Alex, you don't see last night as a benchmark game. Why is that? It, okay. It's not that I don't see it as a benchmark game. I just don't think it was this marquee benchmark game that everyone was talking about. I, I go, look, I mean, we ever, people were saying the same thing about Colorado then just because they lost their goalie, apparently that rules it out, but what we'll, we can talk about that game, but I, I went back and I, I looked in November who they played um, and over a stretch, they did play uh, Tampa Bay, Boston and Vegas. And they won all three games. 
like to me, those are the benchmark games. Those are the teams in the past where though they had the most trouble with whether or not like I'm not trying to diminish Minnesota's season so far, because I believe they're first in the central. And to be honest, they've, they've looked on fire lately, but in the past, the juggernaut teams that we've seen Toronto face, they've always had those issues with, with the Boston's with the Tampa Bay's. I see those to me as true benchmark games because Tampa Bay and Boston most likely are the teams you're going to face in the first two rounds, along with Florida, of course. So to me, those are real benchmark games that for Toronto, because that's literally you like, let's not get past the point of the second round, right? Like let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Can you beat the teams in your own division? Mm -hmm. Yes. Then sure. I do um, say maybe take Boston out and just say Florida and Tampa. We have to have a discussion about Boston. Oh, right? yes, yes, but, yes. Uh, go ahead, Dan. What are you going to say? What I what I want to see is it's not a benchmark more so, but I see it as would Toronto stop the Minnesota train, if that makes sense, stop the momentum. And I think it's not so much a benchmark as it is a quote-unquote special narrative for Michael Russo's point, what he talked about, where – we look at a wild team that we didn't know what they were going to get. And we look at their momentum, like Ryan Hartman's a point per game guy, for example. And, you know, this is a team that as much as we like Joel Erickson, they don't have a true first line center. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, what the narrative was that, okay, this team is hot. This team is going against a very hot Leafs team as well, mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily see this matchup all the time. So it was kind of, more like a mixed bag of what are we really going to get for out of this game? So I think that for me, that was what I took from it. I think, you know, I think he can, I saw a lot of people kind of throwing it off as like, ah, you know what? It's one of those games. It was a fun loss, but that's the kind of game that I would think Sheldon Keefe is kind of like, all right, guys, like you can't fall down three, nothing just like that. Yeah. They came back on the back mm-hmm. of Jason Spencer, but I still think that is a game that you can sort of look at, even if it's, there's a sort of difference, I think, between benchmark and gut check. Right. I would say games like the rematches versus San Jose, Pittsburgh, were sort of gut checks, right? I think this was a game that was important for Toronto because it was they didn't quite they didn't quit on it. They came back, they made the game, and you have to end it in the shootout, which is always awful. But you know, I still think it's it's a learning experience type of game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's still there's stuff to criticize out of it, like Justin Hall, who we're going to talk about in a second here, because that guy is. Oh, those tweets on he him. He is so not finishing the season as a Leaf, by the way. That was all the tweets last night, where it's like, have we seen the last of Justin Hall? Yeah, because Ben Chirot's going to get his place. The silence there is the look on Alex's face is just the pure disappointment. Again, That's I, not- I get. I'm not upset with having Ben Chirot on my team. I, I I said that. I just if they pay a first round pick. I will not watch Probably them play best. in the playoffs. He he, they, they pay the first, but they make it to the conference finals. How about that? Would you be okay with that? I'm not going to sure, say just maybe. win the single round. There's a lot of okay. There's been um the Ducks used to do this, so they used to do a lot of trades where they always gave up their first, but there are always conditions on it where, um, if they get to the conference finals or the finals. It's it's a first so it's a first round pick, but it's protected in the conference finals, but it's unprotected to go to the Stanley Cup finals. But Question. then if they don't, it stays as a second. 
Was it them or Chicago who had a really weird conditional pick uh, in regards to an Antoine Vermette trade? I always get it mixed up. Oh, that was um, that was Chicago. Okay. Did he ever end up a duck too, Vermette? He did because he got okay. So he had a weird thing. So he went to Chicago from the Coyotes, and then he won a cup there. Then he went back to the Coyotes and resigned with them long term, and then they bought him out like ha- like not even halfway into that contract, and then he signed with the Ducks. That's weird. That was the start of the, uh, I don't know what we're quite doing in Anaheim, but luckily they figured it out. Thanks to Martin Madden Jr. Um, <laughs> shout out. Okay, so going ahead today to Winnipeg. Um, the Jets must be feeling good because Shifley started to score again, had a hat trick. I'm not bitter at all. I was gonna Someone was it. listening to uh, <laughs> SDP. Oh, yeah, because Steve has him on his fantasy team, doesn't he? Has, he has well, Shifley. And, and they, all, they were saying he is not making Team Canada. No, because he shouldn't. He should not make. This is gonna be like a controversial situation. But a lot of people did have him on their team Canada at the start of the season. That's that's lame. I'm pretty sure we. I did. A couple of us did. I think I had him as like, well, because my I had a weird team. I had like I had him as like the 15th forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. But you know, looking ahead to Winnipeg, this is a game that you know this is this screams to me that it's like a two nothing loss. But then you kind of forget about it because it's ah, oh, it's a Sunday, it's on the road, and we just kind of forget. It. Is it on the road? I shouldn't. I just yeah, yeah, that. yes. Mm-hmm. That's on the okay, good. I'm guessing they're just doing a central road trip then. I guess so. Yeah, I think okay. they actually come home for Wednesday, but I don't know. It's a, it's a weird a, road trip. What what Minnesota road trip. and Winnipeg. Why not just go? Okay, that's strange. I don't like that. Scheduling is weird. <laughs> Yeah, remember the, the, the series where it's like, ah, oh, we're gonna play three games. I miss the series thing so much. I don't know why they didn't do it, but whatever. It would just want to help with travel and COVID, but the NHL is like, nah. <laughs> it works for baseball. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, it works for them for sure. I just you know they got to work some other stuff out. We don't like free agency lockout. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Like, okay, um, this is the one thing I'm gonna say about baseball, but it's just funny where uh, when we talk about lockouts. Mm-hmm. For like the NHL, it's like you know the players' contracts. We have to know what we're gonna do in terms of revenue sharing. And then for baseball, it's like let's spend all the money we can before the lockout. That's yeah, a weird sport. Nah, okay, so it's confirmed that Joseph Wall is starting tonight, right? For the Leafs. Yes, Wall will start. Which is this is a real test, in my opinion, for Joseph Wall. Yeah. Looking at his past games. Yeah. Oh, is it the battle of NCAA guys? Is Connor Hellebuck playing? Uh, let me go here. double check, but he sh- I'd assume unless they played last night that he is playing. Um, Safe guess that he is. Most nights, yeah, Connor Hellebuck, why not? I haven't yeah. looked at Eric Comrie, but okay. I'm interested to, yeah, to see how he plays so far. It's like his, what, third time on Winnipeg? I feel I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he got waived like twice in the same year and went back, and I think they they signed him or reacquire him. It was like Detroit for a bit. I remember that where they like, they were playing like six goalies. Yeah, no, Detroit need to figure. Hopefully, Nedeljkovic is the after guy there. Uh, something else we should probably mention that was, I think people laughed at, but it's like, oh no, this guy's actually hurt. So Jake Muzzin and Mitch Marner collide at practice. It looked like a bit of an argument between them. Um, and Marner left that practice, and he didn't play last night, and they're being very careful with him for obvious reasons. The Leafs are pretty well in the standings right now. They can afford to let their stars rest. Maybe other teams should learn from that. So here's the sort of question here is, is and Jennifer Bottrell was talking about this on on the, the pregame, is sort of the intensity of a practice. 
is, and you know, again, I've never played, so I can't put myself in this scenario, but it's practicing as hard as you play. But you sort of kind of question that when Jake Muzzin sort of takes out the second most important player on the team. Third best because Nylander is a better player. But <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't necessarily see the issue with it. Like, I don't know why it was really that big a deal. Like To be honest, I think like there was a lot of people complaining about it. I just, man, stuff happens. Like, I don't know why this is like such a big deal. I, I think stuff happens in practice. Um, and teammates, teammates argue name. If you, anyone can actually name me one set of teammates who have never gotten into an argument, I'd actually be surprised mm-hmm. because it's just so common. Like people get into arguments. It happens. Like we've seen so many times, and Adam, you know it as well, that sometimes teammates even fight each other in practice. Alex and I fight each other all the time on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just the nature of it where these guys are all intense. They all have that competitive nature that they're all gonna try to run things in practice that you wanna you know, you wanna apply in the game because it, it just makes sense, right? Like you'll you practice it to the fullest extent before you actually tried it again. Also, a lot of people were kind of, they were making fun of Marner. I mean, it's serious, it's serious enough where he missed a game. I thought they were being a bit too, and listen, I jokingly have been ripping him. He's like, score on the power play, Nylander's better than you. But, you know, it's it's serious enough. You know what I mean? Like, I get the intensity of that, but if I was Marner and you hurt me, I'd be pretty like, you know, I'd be a bit like snippy snip. It gets practiced too at the end of the yeah. day. I would want to be hit by Jake Muzzin. Yeah, no, he's a freaking tank. That's why they got him. He was just doing his thing. And I don't necessarily, I don't actually mind them keeping him out. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, Steve Simmons thinks it's a benchmark game. Cool. Um, that's but, where it's okay. Yeah, that's where it's yeah, from. That's okay. where it stemmed from, by the way. Um, but again, like the the way you guys, the team has been playing, and the way. Um, if taking out an $11 million player when you have $40 million tied to four forwards demolishes your team and the team's confidence, then we really are like, we've seen that in the past. Uh, we are in deep, deep trouble in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> I mean, playoffs. Got kind of <laughs> right. And then Mar- Tavares is gone and it's gone. And that's the end of it. And uh, it was a good time. It was a good time for me, at least. I liked. I liked the playoffs a lot. It was so <laughs> it was much fun. It was a fun time. Um, and then also they just kind of humiliated Colorado because Jonas Johansson is not a good goalie. As simple as that. Yeah, no, he did not look. Pierre Engvall scored a nice goal on him. That's where I drew the line. I'm like, this goalie is not <laughs> great. You know the confidence I had knowing that it was going. It was probably be Johansson against Montreal, and then the Habs just didn't test him. So was it Johansson against Montreal? So I didn't get to Pretty see sure that. it was, yeah. I always okay. wondered with him because I remember he had not the best numbers in Buffalo. Then he got traded to Colorado. And then people said, okay, you know, now he has a defense in front of him. Vogel said he's the worst goalie ever seen. <laughs> if you can't make it as a goalie in Buffalo, and they just went out and got Malcolm Subban. Like, come on. You know what I mean? There's that sense of... it, it was. It's kind of like, like getting... Sorry to turn the back on Montreal, but in 2017 when they got Andres um, Martinson, it's like you got Colorado's fourth line center the year they finished the last. Like, what are you doing? 
I just that it was weird to me. And Colorado, I think there needs to be a. I need to know what is up with Colorado that every year they just seem to fall to injuries like it's nothing. Like, has Pavel Francouz played this year? No, I don't no. think so. Like, what he's happened been, there? And he's, he's got been, a contract. He's been injured again. It's, yeah. And it's, it's McKinnon's missed time. It's it's every year they're right up there with games like men games lost. Like this year, I don't think they're top three because Vegas and Montreal have just been ruined, but. Because right yeah. now it's Makar, Kadri, yeah, and Byram. I think Byram, yeah, as yeah. well. And, and that they, was last minute, yeah. And the goal—they always have this weird goalie situation where it's either they're they they have really good goaltending, or it's like their goaltenders are invisible. Whether Var, Varlamov is Vesna candidate, and he's gone. And then they got Grubauer, and Grubauer started Vesna finalist, and then Vesna finalist, and then they let him go and bringing in someone like Darcy Kemper and now Darcy Kemper is injured. And it's like, I called that man. by the way, like I like Darcy Kemper a lot. It's just the guy's so injury prone. And yeah. then uh, on the near anniversary of Patrick Wasnagia uh, of, of the trade Pierre LeBron's like, yeah, Montreal could be, uh, could go, go, go send uh Carrie Bryce to Colorado. It's like, that? why would oh, he say that? I, that hurt. That really hurt. <laughs> what was he thinking? <laughs> I don't know, man. Some, <laughs> some other news. We are. I don't think we're going to cover everything today, but uh, Dre Baron, congratulations. The first openly gay official in the AHL history. I think it's uh, his debut is tonight. I think it's a Laval Marley's game. Uh, that's really, really cool. There's a 2018 article talking about, I think when he was roughing in the, I think it would have been the ECHL, like his dream is to make it to the NHL. So we're rooting for Dre. You'll love to see it. So congratulations. Yeah. That was mentioned last night on uh, 30... 32 uh, basically headlines, Hockey Night in Canada. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. And that's, of course, where Friedman mentioned Kent Hughes being um, a candidate for Montreal's uh, GM job. Uh, also, of course, Jeff Merrick was the one to mention this because he has been talking about Anton Kadobin for years now. Um, hope he's been good. Ottinger's around, and who knows what's happening with Ben Bishop. But uh, that all of a sudden, Anton Kadobin's the odd man out, and Jeff Merrick saying that Dallas are looking at his market. So... He didn't say it, but we're all thinking it. Hello, Edmonton, or maybe yeah. Colorado, or who else am I thinking that maybe needs a goaltender? Um, so I threw this theory out there that uh, the Penguins would get back Mark Andre Fleury. So the Penguins, because they're bad, Jari's been good, but DeSmith has been not good, not great. Uh, mm-hmm. So again, like they're an option, but the thing is, like Kudobin also hasn't been fantastic this year that might be a symptom of dallas also having been fantastic this year mm-hmm. um, but i'd i i would pick me pittsburgh i'd throw them in the in there as well i was very very concerned um when they signed that contract extension he got because it was right after the cup their cup final yeah. appearance so mm-hmm. you almost have to like you feel really really bad for him because or not for him really because millions of dollars congratulations but dallas kind of had to sign that contract and uh oh oh boy oh boy it is I, not I well i don't get dallas to be honest with this no one does because ben bishop's out and i know he's a young guy still but you're already giving jake Ottinger a bunch of starts yeah, and been careful. And then they go out and get Braden Holtby. Yeah. And I don't know. It's just, if it's just for me, I know you have to be careful with it, but at the same time, it's just, it's not like a Carter Hart situation where you're getting him like random backups. 
like Anton Hadobin was a guy who was expected to like you know take the take the load off a bit and so what was the plan it was they were going to give Ottinger the year in the AHL they knew Bishop was gone and they went out and got Hopi with Ottinger stolen it and if Hopi is rejuvenated that's a fair partner so I get it there's a few listen I I am confused by a lot of things the Dallas Stars do Ryan Suter yeah no that was a weird one even when Pavelski signed you're like what but I, I think that's I think it's it's fair what they're doing. They're a confusing team, but you know, I just can't wait to see where Kadobin ends up because I, it also sets the market to see if Montreal would trade Jake Allen to see what that would. I still don't think they should, but like you can think of that market because um, I know Stuart Skinner has been awful, and so has Koskinen. But you still kind of question like Mike Smith has is still Mike Smith and Koskinen is Koskinen. But also uh, from Elliot Friedman, DeBrusque, uh the asking price for his value is apparently the same value of a forward or defenseman and Boston apparently value him highly. So make of that what you will. What does that even mean? He's not even playing. <laughs> Naturally, they're going to have high value for him because they're trying to trade him. So, DeBrusque for Shirok. Sure. I actually can I'm see that. I'm not going to complain like, about Chirot's that. like a... Like, <laughs> he would be like a Boston guy. He's, yeah, he fits there perfectly. You know, I mean, if you're them, you kind of. I would assume if you're Boston, you're kind of wanting a centerman because, man, they've missed David Krejci, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's they very have. weird. I'm kind of wondering what exactly that means. It's Boston. Like, who's? I wonder who's the centerman. How about this? The Sharks realize they're bad. Mm-hmm. Hurdle, not Meyer. Hurdle. <laughs> you center the deal around DeBrus. It's going to be more than that, but and then all of a sudden you got your if you, you work on the extension. And all of a sudden, even if Pat Bergeron retires this year, you all of a sudden have your first line center for the next decade, and Pasternak is still super young, and then you have him in McAvoy, and just like that, you have the next sort of image of what the core in Boston is. You forgot someone. Craig Smith. Jake Stednika. Craig Smith. <laughs> That's when everything went down for Nashville is when they lost Craig Smith. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Jack Stednika will always be there. Man, Charlie Coyle has not worked out. No, no, he's not. I like. I don't know. The thing is, okay, he was when they had David Krejci. He was in his perfect spot, like you know, like that highly valued top nine center that could you could put in all situations, but not necessarily be a guy in the top six. And then now that they gave him more responsibilities, it's just been it hasn't been good. And they gave him five point two five million dollars forever. Yeah. Like they kind of put themselves in a situation. Like I look at it in a similar light to how people talk about Alex Kerfoot. Like they're like, well, you can't play Alex Kerfoot in top six wing because he makes three and a half and can play center. And it's like, well, Charlie Coyle can play the wing, but like he can play center and he makes 5.25 million. It's like, I don't necessarily agree with it, but you got to utilize your players in the best situation. It's just unfortunate that they got Charlie Coyle in my opinion, to replace David Krejci when that time came, and he hasn't been able to do it. That or they go get Nazem Kadri in the offseason. Yeah. Can you imagine? Someone oh did gosh. suggest that. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Okay. Kadri for DeBrusque? I mean, Kadri, uh, DeBrusque and a bunch of stuff for Kadri? Not no, a bunch no. of stuff. Well, obviously, no, they're not. Colorado aren't going to trade him this year. 
you know what? I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking. Um, last thing from headlines we can talk about: the league, as of right now, are not looking at taxi squads. The a very quiet story. Well, not quiet. We have been kind of quiet on it because I, we don't want the Olympics to not happen. But COVID is getting rampant with a lot of teams in the AHL. It is messing with a lot of teams. Well, no, we've talked about it, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, yeah. it's just the. The thing of roster management is what we haven't really talked about. The number of e-bugs. St. Louis are getting screwed at every position this year when it comes to trying up to call up players. Especially the third goalie thing is, is such a problem right now. And uh, Jeff Merrick says he's talked to Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly about uh, taxi squads, and there's no plans right now. I don't know if it's something to do with there's going to be some caption in against, but can you not just sort of, I don't know, put in some sort of cushion i wouldn't know the logistics i'm not a cap expert but at this point there is if you have a short roster guys are going to play more and all of a sudden the the double chefs and that the risk of injury just shoots up right. and everything just gets worse so I, I just don't understand what the league are doing here uh, yeah i'm not entirely sure what they're doing either because how many teams have to get kind of get screwed before um you make like re- legitimate change because first off there, the NHL sent a memo and it's like, well, you know, don't have your Christmas parties. So what, like, again, you're not going to do put something that will benefit the teams. Like Boston was not able to call up anybody be- because Providence was dealing with their own issues with COVID. If they had a taxi squad, that wouldn't have needed to been done. They could have called someone up and here we are. But instead, we're diddle-daddling around the issue. I don't know why we're having an all-star game. Like, you're now restricting the all-star game too. Like, the only reason this should be happening is if you can have fans and it can be full capacity. It makes no sense that you, you're you dying to go to the Olympics, yet you're making decisions that tell me otherwise. You know what I'm getting the idea from with this? What's that? Because we mentioned you mentioned the AHL trying to be, you know, a full league again, trying to the NHL doing its best. And I think it's just that separation of of the leagues and letting the teams play because the NHL just wants to say things are back to normal and we don't want any more of these other provisions and like they said, listen, you know, when you use the example of the Christmas party, it said, we're putting all the things that we can to show that there's a sense of normacy here now. But if something goes wrong, it's on the team. It's not on us. Sorry. Um, what I don't get is you talk about the all-star game is at this point, it's you can clearly see the only reason they're still playing to have is the financial part of it. Because and everyone's worried about the, the variant right now, the Omicron one. And it just feels like a safety risk to bring everyone. And apparently, the 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 restrictions are going to be super tight. But just why risk it at this point? It's the same as like argument that I think a lot of us have when the NBA did it last year. Um, I just I just don't get the risk. And at this point, it's almost like a matter of time until you're like, okay, Olympics were cut down there. Um, and Alex, I heard you mention Providence. Like, yeah. how do you just sort of get into that situation? Like, how do you fix that? Like, I, I just, everything the league have sort of handled everything this year with rosters and that, and so against it, I don't, it's not a competitive advantage to sort of allow you to have a proper roster in place. It's just needlessly unsafe for players, I think. 
I'm so sorry Arizona can't afford to employ eight more people. Okay. I'm, oh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I, but, but they've made decisions like this before, right? They made mm-hmm. decisions based on, we've had this discussion, the, the thing a few years ago with the uh, practice arenas. It's, it was like ridiculous. I just don't see why there's literally no competitive advantage. They're so focused on not, on worrying about whether there's a competitive advantage or not that they're willing to risk this. It's the guys coming in for like Boston that they're going to be like league minimum or like between 700 to like 900,000 cap hits too. just have a sort of bubble and make those guys just pure exemptions. If it's like a, Look, listen, you don't do that for a normal rostered player, but there needs to be some sort of almost like an emergency recall type thing or roster spot. You know what I mean? Like something to that effect, I think, is the route that they should take. Um, anything else on those guys you want to touch on? Or I'm just crossing my fingers that everything goes okay in January, February. Yep. I think we all are too. Everyone just kind of sits there and we're like, I want the Olympics, but it's just so, so unrealistic now. Okay. So if we're looking towards uh, some other stuff, I think we'll, we'll save Nashville's Jersey for next time. Okay. Um, and maybe we'll hold on for Troy Terry and Jack Campbell. Yeah. That's the Olympic stuff. Yeah. Um, we've, t- but we talked about Campbell before. I think he's right in there for the Olympic spot. Troy Terry. I wonder, oh, we can talk about it now because Raymond had to, they had to like the Sweden are trying to make an exemption for, um, for Raymond. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I doubt Troy Terry was on the long list before because no effect fans, but he wasn't sort of in there. So I wonder if now, if you kind of look at everything, um, would Terry have been on the list to begin with? And if Raymond isn't going to get the shot, um, then will that also happen with Terry? Um, I just, I, think, I just wonder if he just wasn't on the radar. I don't like that exemption. Like, just let them name the guys when you get to a certain point. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, you know what, and you know what hurts me. I don't think it doesn't look like Price is going to play at all in December. So I, I don't think he's going to make the, the Olympic roster, but that's kind of that's a real shame. He uh, is guy. on the he is on their list, though. I read he, uh, he is a guy, though an, an allowed exemption apparently. With yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, like there's stingy. Like there is an exemption made for him as opposed to the other two because obviously Carey Price is a much different circumstance and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we can also talk about okay, Daniel. You're very qualified when it comes to the sort of CHL and all that. Normally, when you get to this time of the year, it's very confusing, and a lot of people all of a sudden become CHL experts. And sorry, I, since I quickly came back, I'm, I'm a mess on the show. My apologies. Um, but everyone becomes CHL experts, and it's like, this guy should be on the list. This guy should be on the list. But even I can tell, and I love your perspective on this, it's very confusing as to why Brant Clark has not been named for Team Canada's uh, sort of camp here for the World Juniors. Yeah, I for me, I think it just goes down to when you're making a list and thinking about like this is the one perspective I have is that you're making a list and it's like we cannot absolutely not get this guy. And it went down to one or two players. And I know it's not a CHL example, but I'll use an Olympic example where Steve Eiserman came out and said that, you know, listen, when it came down to the list, looking at what a complete team was for 2014. You know, it was a toss-up between not just his decision, but the whole management decision of, are we going to bring in a Jeff Carter or are we going to bring in Claude Giroux? And the only 
the only thing that kind of bothers me with this is that when you look at Canada's defense, is it's a lot of left-hand shots, and then you left out Brent Clark. Right. And for me, it's it was a bit confusing. And I know that a lot of the times when we look at real junior rosters, with the exception of last year because of all the situations going on with that, and you, you literally had all first-round first pick, first picks available, um, it's just it was it was weird for me that a player like that was left off when he went eighth overall, and you know he was ranked what going in the top five or so in the draft. And and, and he, if I mean, I looked at that list, and I again, I'm no CHL expert or World Juniors expert, but he seemed to me to be like the best defenseman, and mm. they didn't pick him. If you're going to have one guy do a certain role, if you want to fill out role players beneath them, but if you need to have that one ace, I would assume Brant Clark would be the one ace. Now, apparently it's nothing to do with skill. It's not COVID-related. So I wonder if it's like a DeBrincat situation, you know what I mean? When he was like, I don't think it was ever confirmed, but it was like, no, he's tiny. And Brant Clark isn't small. I believe he's over six foot, uh, around 200 pounds. So there's there's a lot to the kid. Um, that's in full. He's not like Victor Hedman or anything, but it's just very confusing. Um, you know, he's going to be a great player for a long time, but I, I really get upset when players miss when they should rightfully like miss a sort of golden opportunity, like we're going to see here with the World Juniors. That really bothers me. Yeah, like for me, okay, this is the one. I'm going to use another example: is Tyler Sagan did not make a World Junior team, but he was at least invited. Really? Yeah, he was like one of the final cuts during his year like at first they thought it was going to be you know taylor and tyler playing together in the real juniors yeah because he and was supposed to there was a thinking that he might go first yeah you're saying it was the taylor or tyler debate yeah and he was ah. cut also like reggie hopkins like the year before he was drafted he was also one of the cuts was that when they were that very strange seven or eight um 17 16 type thing when it's like, you know how, like, Lafreniere was like, he yeah. got cut, then he was like 13th forward, and then he was the captain. I don't think he wasn't the captain. I think that was, um, was that the guy in Arizona? But sorry, that's not important. But you know, oh, it was a Barrett Hayden, yeah. Barrett Hayden, yeah. But you know, he's basically Lafreniere is the, the, the king of, of the North for that tournament. You know what I mean? He's got the flag draped around him, and what a great team that was. Um, anything else? Um, sir, who was the, I forgot to mention him last podcast. Who was the Leafs prospect that was uh, named to the invitation camp? Oh, uh, Ryan Sverberg. Congratulations. Round yeah. Pick, yeah. Congratulations to him. Joshua Waugh, um, Caden Gooley from Montreal and, you know, respectfully Toronto, their guy, uh, we're rooting for you. So, uh, please do it. Um, please win, 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 win. I thought, um, Alex was going to say Matthew knees. Yeah. U S Matthew knees yeah. in the U S. Oh, Okay. Leafs highest the- pick lately. <laughs> I forgot last draft was so barren. Eh? Hey, watch they're gonna hot take the Leafs are winning the cup. Oh, that's I don't know why I felt the need. Take that I want to say that. No, they're gonna win the cup. Okay, that back. They're gonna. Oh my god! Don't ruin this. I think that I think there's something special going on this year. We'll see. That, or I think they're at least making the conference finals. Something screams to me about this Leafs team. They've rebuilt properly, and they didn't show up and publicly say, we're done rebuilding like Pierre Dorian did. So now it's CJ, Pierre, and then Adam. I've had some yeah. some better transitions, but uh, so that wasn't hot take. It's just a hot take that we have to stay so, with. So Pierre Dorian backtracked recently, because at the beginning of the year, Dorian obviously said, do you know what, guys? 
the rebuild is over. And he's now said, I should have said, we have the core pieces oh, together. Oh, I love that. I love that backtracking. Because the Sens, now there's been COVID and all this type of stuff. There's a lot going on in Ottawa. Apparently, there are rumors that Dorian may sell, which I doubt it. What? Going to sell. Yeah, so Kyle Bukowskis and that, there's been news out of Ottawa, and it was mentioned on 32 Thoughts, the podcast, not the segment on Saturday nights, <laughs> that there's rumors that he may sell. By the way, if you're a fan, if there's any chance Quebec would come back, it would have to probably be the Sens. That's the best chance. It's in that division and all that, so it makes Wait. sense. Sorry, you mean Eugene Melnick will sell or Pierre Dorian will sell? I am an idiot. I met met Melnick. Oh, okay. okay. (laughs) I'm like, like, okay, that's it. Like they have a couple guys that I guess they can sell at the deadline. But okay, Eugene Melnick will sell. That is big news. I have another update on Ottawa. I'm so sorry. I am just, I've just, I just got... I, had, I put everything into talking with Patrick, and I've just lost my mind here. I'm so it's, sorry. It's uh, eight minutes ago. I believe you guys already saw this. Chris Johnson. No. What? Pontus Alberg is on oh, yeah. un- unconditional waivers for the purpose Thanks, of terminating Dave. his contract. He is Thank heading you. back to Europe for I Chris thought, Johnson. I thought he was already in Europe again. So did I. I didn't realize he came back. Leafs legend, Pontus Alberg. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great name, eh? No, I was going to see Yvonne Fairbrother, but uh, um, but no, no, no. Agnes Crookshank, the uh, top prospect, I believe, in the sense. Well, we're going to leave uh, the Arizona Coyotes for next thing because it requires way more time. Where to go from here? Why would the Buffalo Sabres, they need a goalie, so they go get Malcolm Subban. We hinted um, it with Patrick, yeah. I don't hate this because... It was Listen, it's not a great solution, but Buffalo, I don't think, can afford to give up assets because they're bad to go get a goalie. But I like that at least the team could you can sell it to the room as this is a guy as a backup went to the Cup finals behind Matt uh, Mark Andre Fleury, and you know he wasn't playing this year because you know Lankinen and Fleury. I just realized. It. <laughs> Malcolm Subban got his job stolen twice by Mark Andre yeah, Fleury. Yeah. Poor guy. Um, like Fleury lost his job in his last two teams as well. But um, it's a bit of a nothing move. But I'm happy that Subban gets another chance. Um, and I'm also very very happy that um that Buffalo are at least trying some tweaking. Maybe I'm being a bit too kind as I have been to Buffalo all year. But um, what do you guys think? I, it's just it's nice to see the Subans around, even though we're going to talk about PK and his slew footing in a second. Here, and that's not great. Um, I think it's. I mean, listen, like for Buffalo, um, what they kind of needed was they didn't necessarily for their young guys. They just needed a goalie who can keep them in the game for like forty minutes. Yeah. Instead of what they've had for the last few years, uh, other than Linus Allmark, that would keep them in the game for 20 minutes. Like they just need their young guys to play somewhat competitive hockey. If Malcolm Subban can do that, that's great. They got Uka Pekalukanen coming up. I imagine he's he's going to play some time at some point. One guy I keep, I think they might go after, whether it's now or whether it's in the offseason, is Jonas Corposalo, who... Yeah has had a weird start in Columbus, hasn't been performing necessarily to the standards he was a couple of years ago, but that's a guy who can keep you in the game for 40 minutes. And if your defense craps the bed and then you're not in the game anymore, but at least those young guys, cousins, uh, Tage Thompson, uh, Casey Milstad, they get to play somewhat competitive hockey for a little bit. 
Wait, uh, two things, Adam. I'm Alex. Did you yeah. mean 60 minutes or 40? No, I 40 meant 40 minutes. minutes. You meant 40 minutes? I meant okay, 40 just, minutes. Just to clear that. Um, I kind of agree with you where I, I was thinking that with the, like, the emergence of Daniil Tarasov in Columbus, that maybe Buffalo is going to go out and get Jonas Carposalo on the cheap. But I kind of agree with this move for now because you know they are still in full tank mode. They're still trying to figure out what they kind of have there right now. And I think Corposalo might come in later on where they think about, you know, we, we, we have an idea of what the general framework is going to look like. You know, Corposalo's just been on the rumor mill for so long. It's kind of like, uh, like uh, Rasmus Jalinem was. I'm just going to quickly get up Buffalo's roster because I wonder what they would give up. You know what I mean? Um, Andrews Bjork in a second. <laughs> Okay. Is it funny that that's a fair trade and somehow Taylor Hall was the was the same? Um, so I think Valtteri Bottas just stole Ocon's podium spot at like the very last second, which is kind of funny. Um, apparently this was an insane race, so I can't wait to watch that a little later. Um, okay, so last thing we're going to talk about today is listen, guys. I really like PK Subban. I always yeah. have. Um, you always will. Yeah, I always will. Um, you know that ad that plays on YouTube when he talks about the city of Montreal? It kind of makes me cry. I love you, PK. Be my friend. Um, but PK Subban, you know how they talk about how some players have this sort of, um, their identity changes when they get to different roles in his career? I think what PK Subban, what's been best for him in his time in New Jersey and offensively, he's not having a horrible year, which is really nice to see because he's playing behind Dougie Hamilton. I don't know if he needs to feel, and he's been doing this subtle slew foot for years now he's done it three times this year he hurt sammy blay um nick ehlers as we know some people may say he's a diver like joe thornton what (laughs) what a clip clip. are you what a clip um but you know what i mean there's definitely that that sort of pk is getting that reputation and i don't think he needs to do that you're pk suban man you don't I don't like seeing it from and the, and he needs there needs to be discipline. There really does. That's the biggest thing though, right? Is there needs to be discipline. And if they're not going to discipline him, he's just going to keep doing it. Like that's just I think in a way Tim Peel, I don't know if you saw that clip where Tim Peel said it was just a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a dangerous I, habit. Yeah, like I think it is a habit but I think because he's not being properly disciplined for it, like handing out a $5,000 fine is not properly disciplining him, by the way. Alex, if- Alex. 11,000. Come on. Oh, sorry. 11, whatever. It's the same thing. Not enough. Um, it should be games, but whatever. Like Brad Marchand just got three games for it. I'm defending. I'm about to defend Brad Marchand here. That's insane. Okay. But if you're not going to properly discipline him, then he's going to keep doing it. Like, that's just the reality. Whether you like it, that's why would he stop if he's not going to, if they're not going to discipline him? Exactly. Anything else, lots? We love PK, but, you know, bad habits require concrete efforts. Exactly. Sorry if we rushed through some stuff to end. It's been a long episode. Um, so, uh, but we're gonna we're leaving some important segments for next time. Um, and again, if you, you're listening and you're like, man, a little less Habs content, don't worry. No, we won't stop. No, we're gonna, be bad. Yeah, we're no, gonna double mean, down on it. Yeah, nonstop. We're actually we're gonna change it to the two on one Habs cast. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
We're gonna have Gianni Fairbrother on one day. But but no, don't worry. We're gonna. I I think it's it's. I think we got um. I think lately I, I I've kind of realized. You know what? I think we need to. I think this is on me too. Is like really start digging into the Leafs and really start nitpicking because um. Obviously, we can't focus on Montreal. Ah, they're still losing for long. So, um, if you're thinking like, man, we love more Leafs content on this dual-sided pod, I think it's an issue we have. Is you know, they're like STP. They focus on the Leafs, and there's other thing, and we kind of have this weird balances. If you're upset, just think of it like this: the Habs are going to be talked about badly so much this year. And by the time we get to the playoffs, it's all going to be Toronto. So if you're looking forward to that, look forward to that. We'd love to hear more from people who listen to the show. That'd be really, really cool. Again, uh, thanks for the shout out. What was his name, Alex? Uh, Producer Clark. Producer Clark. We love you. Um, And again, if you listen this far, uh, we love you. Patrick, again, we love you too, man. Um, (laughs) And we can't wait to have him back on the show. Um, And yeah, I think beside that, shout out to our good friend, Mike, who's in New York. Hope you enjoyed the game last night. Um, and for all of that, what do we say? Glads, we love hockey. We love the listeners. Check us out on all our social media platforms. We love each other. Yeah, exactly. Love you guys. Um, check out the shows on TikTok and all that kind of stuff. We love to see it. The YouTube version, all that. Check out my YouTube channel, Alex's blog, Daniel's stuff for CJRU. Patrick's stuff as well. His pinned article on his, uh, his Twitter profile is really, really good. Um, I can tell you that. So, we will see you. Today is Sunday. We will see you Wednesday, hopefully. Um, Next weekend might be a little messy. We'll see what happens. We will be back uh, next episode preview. We're going to talk about the Coyotes are not moving, we think. We're going to make fun of more jerseys. And we will continue to talk about the team and the sport that we love but sometimes feels like doesn't love us back. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you, The Voice Ed, as always, for being a great platform for the show. We didn't forget. Goodbye.